Welcome, friends, to Breakfast in the Ruins, a Michael Moorcock flavoured podcast. 2023 is almost up, and it's time for another birthday special. Our fifth, in fact. Today is the 18th of December 2023, and it's Mike's birthday. And Phil's birthday, of course. So happy birthday to the both of you. And it's been a busy year all round for everyone. Mike's latest Elric short story has just seen publication in New Edge and Sword and Sorcery's Fall 2023 edition, and his Sexton Blake book, co-written with Mark Hodder, hit my doormat just about a week ago. And of course, this year saw the release of The Woods of Arcady. As far as the podcast goes, we've doubled our listeners and downloads on last year's numbers, so that's super satisfying, and this is our 75th episode. A nice number, and one that I wasn't perhaps expecting to hit when we started back in late 2019. And as for birthday girl Phil, she's just retired after 35 years in the NHS, and looking forward to a well-deserved break before she decides what to do next. And of course, all of the Christmas chocolates, booze and salty snacks are getting in my eyeline, so I'd better get this intro nailed down, as this show is a long one. It's a double bill of salutations as, first up, I welcome Joe Monty, Editorial Director at Saga Press, to Virtual Derry and Toms, followed by some round-table nonsense with Phil and Loz, where we look at some eyebrow-raising reviews and make a game out of it. A shit one, to be fair, but a game nevertheless. So, stock up on cheese footballs, charge your glasses with some weird local ritual booze, and join us as we say happy birthday Mike and Phil. Back in Derry and Tom's, it's that time of year again uh, for our fifth birthday special. And the season is festive. I've got a guest. I can see, is that a My Neighbour Totoro Christmas jumper by any chance? It is. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So I've got with me Joe Monte, who is the editorial director at Saga Press. Now, anybody, of course, who's bought the recent Elric volumes uh, will recognise Saga Press, but also broader fantasy and sci-fi fans will know Saga Press as well. But Joe, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Uh, Andy, I am so happy to finally be speaking with you. You know, we've talked about it a few times and we've never actually managed to hook it up, have we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we had some difficulty today too, but yeah, here we are. That just seems to be a common theme at the moment. So, you know, we'll fight on through. We'll fight on through. It's fine. It's fine. Now, of course, it being the festive season as well, I feel kind of guilty in a way because you're in the office at Saga Press and I'm in my home office and I finish work an hour and 20 minutes ago. And because of our problems, I'm already halfway down my first pint of Malibu and Coke. Well, I did a very New Yorker thing. I went to a bodega across the street, and there were many great choices, but I got the best <laughs> choice I could find. It's nice. a Long Island lager, Beautiful. Long Island style lager. It's oh. a pint, toasted lager, Blue Point. So we're, we're going to try this, Andy, special okay. for you. Get that cracked up. Oh, you, you're going to dare that's drink, it. especially for this that's occasion. It. That's it. That's it. Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers. Oh, and how is it? A little bitter, but good. Oh, good, good. Yeah, a little bitter. Yeah, I like it. Now, of course, we, we've talked before about getting you on the podcast, because quite apart from anything else, you are essentially Mike's current editor when it comes to uh, republishing, certainly the Elric books, but yeah. a few other bits and pieces as well. Now, before we yeah. get into that, I generally ask new guests on this podcast, what's your history with Moorcock? Well, I'm sure your history with Moorcock will probably come out as we discuss, but what's your history with genre fiction more broadly, and how did you get into oh, it? Oh, I have 
two Earth stories, but like the first one, uh, the moment was summer of 1987. I'm turning 17 and I'm visiting my family, this little house in Italy with my dad. Uh, my parents both immigrated, my mom from Argentina, my dad from Italy. And um, I'm reading The Great Gatsby for summer reading for class next this fall and finish it. And I'm like, you know, I think I want to be an editor. Didn't know shit about it. But, you know, I just thought, <laughs> this, this just might be good. But before that, and I've been thinking about this a lot, was the summer of 86, the year before. That summer, I was a hacker, specifically a freak, which is like more of a phone hacker. And that's when uh, I read Neuromancer. I, I read The Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen. Uh, those three things, and Dune earlier in the year, but like really those three things that summer, that's the moment when I fell in love with the genre. Mm. And so when I said editor, I thought science fiction fantasy. Yeah. It wasn't well, that, that's yeah. three pretty big hitter formative reads, aren't they? Yeah. For a yeah. teenager. Yeah. Right. And they all, I mean, Neuromancer was a year old, but like, uh, even so, you know, the other two were just happening. Um, mm. Neuromancer is a funny one, isn't it? Loz and I mentioned this quite frequently. For years, our favourite opening line in a novel was the sky was tuned to the colour of a dead TV, which was absolutely fabulous. But to a kid right. who reads that now, doesn't quite hold the same meaning. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. Because I know here, yeah, yeah. If, right. if you get there's a TV that that's tuned to a dead channel, it's basically vibrant sky blue, <laughs> which yeah. doesn't really work the same way, does it? Yeah, and there are no dead channels anymore. There's always content. Content. Yeah. Very true. So what did you move on to from there then? And how did you um, uh, accomplish your dream well, me, of becoming an editor? Well, let me tell you, my, my, well, I, I guess I'll tie this in if you want. With the Moorcock, I had, as a teenage boy, I had two posters uh, over my bed. Uh, one was a picture of Christy Brinkley, a supermodel, in a blue bikini. <laughs> the other was, uh, it was an Elric poster, um, Michael Whalen, there we go. Yeah. Michael Whalen posters where he's holding Stormbringer, like, at his waist and i was the kind of naive kid i was almost 18 when i just had an epiphany like queen oh because he's gay oh years you know so yeah uh, i didn't realize that i started with oh you know the sword's both is like it's his cock and his heroin needle both you know like (laughs) so you know it's but that's where it started 14 the post over the bed uh the two bbs's that i was part of a hacker uh on was the kurosach hatterock and the melibonian council so it started wow. early, Andy. <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's that's proper nerd territory <laughs> yeah yeah you can't get nerdier than that but yeah no. you you move on from there into how did you accomplish your dream of of getting into the publishing industry uh the longest most securitist route possible uh i uh i was a bookseller at a couple of local bookstores uh, one was a chain b dalton for your americans uh which eventually got bought by barnes and noble which then eventually got bought by waterstones <laughs> where we are now but um I went from there to running a couple of stores and then becoming a buyer uh, at Barnes & Noble. And I bought children's fiction. That's mm-hmm. always my way in, uh, middle grade and young adult. And um, one of my best friends to this day is the fantasy and science fiction buyer at Barnes & Noble. And uh, he's perpetually single, so I was always his plus one of things. But including <laughs> uh, the first time I met Mike and Linda was at uh, dinner when Warner Books was publishing him and his 
previously uh, editor Betsy Mitchell left and a friend, Jamie, took over. And I had just convinced her because historical fiction was coming around. What year is this? 99, maybe. Historical fiction was having a moment. And I'm like, you know, you should republish Gloriana. And um, they didn't have anything. They didn't have the files or anything. So they actually used my mass market copy of Gloriana to, to scan. And that's what the original reprint was. Uh, and um, we had dinner. We had dinner at a, a little French restaurant, appropriately enough, with the, the five of us. And that's mm-hmm. the first time I met Mike. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I, I've seen him a couple of times since then during the years. But like, really, if you go from the 14-year-old to where I am now, and I'll tell you another story about that's even better. Uh, mm-hmm. I pinch myself all the time. Oh, thanks for working with Mike. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. What what a story! You become an editor, you are, but actually, you started off as a buyer, didn't you? A fiction so a buyer, buyer, yeah. So a buyer, and then uh, I didn't finish the whole crazy route. So a uh, buyer, I left and become a sales rep after twelve years of working at Barnes and Noble. Uh, become a sales rep for a year and a half. That was a means to an end to get into the publishing side of things. Hmm. Then I was at, at Little Brown. I was part of Hachette uh, books for a year and a day. Uh, I was let go. Uh, and then, <laughs> we'll just leave that one alone. And then I was a literary <laughs> agent for four and a half years during the uh, the bad times uh, and the recession here in the U.S. And mm. then this possibility happened here at Simon Schuster um, after four and a half years. And this is my dream job, Andy. I mean, there's there's a caliphon for Soccer Press. It's it's um, it's a chalice. It's the whole story of. The North Scott saga, uh, it may be Freya, uh, because you know, the, the editors are all messed up in partials. But uh, her job uh, was, after Odin was done for, with things for the day, the Hugin and Mugen tell, came back and told him what's what. He would go meet Saga on the shore, and she'd feed him. The only thing he ever ate or drank was the meat of poetry, and she'd hand that off to him in a chalice, and that's what the, the caliphate of the imprint is, And because uh, this is my dream job. It's my tattoo. Um, and... Yeah, this is this is it, man. It's it's been ten years, about a month ago, um, of doing this, and I hope I retire doing this because this is what I've really always wanted to do since I was seventeen years old. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, that is absolutely wonderful. I think when you find a job that in, in any walk of life, if you find yeah. a job that doesn't feel like work and it's something that you absolutely love, well, that's a real blessing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's work sometimes, right? It's just, there's a lot of junk they do but uh, yeah there are times when you're just sitting around like you're editing books or emailing mike and, uh, or anything it's a joy and not only that but it's a net positive in the world you know yeah. um, so how did the reprint of the elric saga come about because i think in, in the uk certainly it was the golanx collections from about 12 yeah. 10 12 years ago were the last time they were re- revised and put in print again so how did that come about and you know quite apart from anything else they are the most marvelous beautiful editions but how yeah. did how did that come about thanks yeah i mean it, i had re- when i was here i reprinted a couple of things so i, I reprinted uh, gloriana um and uh, his us agent uh, knew uh, howard morheim knew that i was Fan of Mike's. And the rights just became free again because uh, mm-hmm. Del Rey here in the US, part of Random House, uh, they had done these other editions, like six volumes, five volumes, I forget mm-hmm. right now. Um, and they were pretty, they had a lot, not, a lot of nice art in them, uh, but they were messy. <laughs> and, you know, even as a big fan as I am, uh, they had so many different things in each volume. You couldn't, 
there was no linear progression. There was no sense of like, okay, well, this this is how you go from books one to six, you know, hmm. uh, the stories in between. It was just everything. And for a completionist point of view, it was nice to have everything, but it was also done in an odd way that um, didn't fully fit. So hmm. when Golan's did their editions uh, and uh, the rights were getting free at the same time, I was offered the opportunity to do it. Titan had been doing some Eternal Champion reprints. Tor had done a couple. Um, and uh, being a bookseller, uh, I thought that they had, not Galans, but like Titan and Tor had both published them improperly. They published mm -hmm. individual titles, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, the Swords books, right? The Swords trilogy, uh, the, each individual one. Like, no, no, nobody wants, like, that's not how people read and buy physical books much anymore. I mm -hmm. think uh, it was an omnibus edition. That was the way to go. And so that's what I wanted to do. And uh, so three volumes. Uh, uh, and I wanted to call art from the last 60 years because it was supposed mm. to be timed for the 60th anniversary of Elric. That got all messed up. <laughs> I'll tell you some of the stories of why that happened. But that was the idea. And yeah. the idea was then to have this art from the last 60 years. But uh, part of the problem was I had 60 years old. Some of these are at least 30 to 40 years old. And aside from Whalen and Michael Whalen and Brahm, most other artists were either dead their families were gone, they had no one, or they were disorganized. They're just like, I have this piece, but I don't have that piece. Um, uh, or I haven't scanned, but I don't have, or I don't have it scanned anymore. I sold that piece of art off years ago. Yeah. Um, um, so I had plans to like do a lot of art and it was contained to just certain pieces. Um, uh, but still I was able to insert color pieces into it. And then the pandemic happened. Mm. And these plans all went awry because printers shut down in the US uh printers who could do color inserts and the kind of paper that you need to have in order to do that uh were not available uh we had to go through them overseas uh we planned especially for the third volume which is bigger than the, of the three it's a thousand pages uh we were printing in china and then the <laughs> they they refused to print it because uh, their sensors found something in the errata there's nothing there. But regardless, we weren't going to listen to him. So we had to scramble last minute to go find a publisher, a printer, I mean, to, to, to publish. And uh, we had 24 hours. And the production wow. team was great. They figured it out. Uh, we had two choices between uh, Morocco and Spain. We chose Spain. Uh, this is the secret story of, of volume three of the, uh, the Saga edition, uh, The White Wolf, if you will. Uh, the cover's there. And then the inside of the cover is a poster, different mm -hmm. pieces of art. Yeah. And that came because we couldn't do the inserts because we had 24 hours to like switch it out. And this printer could do it and still keep the time schedule and have it out in time, but they couldn't do the inserts on the inside. So everyone seems to like it, but that's yeah. a true story about how it happened. Right. <laughs> um, it was, it was a wild time. It was a wild time. And if you know, we missed the 60th anniversary year by a month because we had all these delays of the pandemic and people weren't showing up to work. And so they couldn't print the book. Um, yeah. It's crazy, but we made it happen, and they're pretty. Uh, and more, most importantly, it's it's the Galan's files. It's uh, yeah. literally I take the Galan's files. So it's Mike's preferred editions. They're in the linear order, um, and again, it's the 60th anniversary. That has never happened in the U.S. Uh, sure, I mean originally when he was published by Daw, you know, the, the mass markets which I have here on the shelf too. Sure. Yeah as they were coming out, but I'm talking about since then, since all the other revisions and things that Mike's done, it's all been scattered. Yeah. They never just been published. Okay, here's book one, here's book, here's book yeah. nine. 
it's not that hard to figure it out, but like, yeah, here we are. And yeah. uh, the readership appreciated it. And it's, it's sold very well. Yeah. Well, I know in, in the UK, the the print runs that were available, I mean, I got mine through a company, a Scottish company called Blackwell Books to, to avoid sure. the, the main player. But the print runs were um, running out very, very quickly. So there's obviously a lot mm. of people who were ordering them and getting them on, on back order for the next run. So And, and incredibly, incredibly, because I know I've bitched about this on this podcast before, about how Waterstones don't carry Mocock books, whereas they carry really? Philip K. Dick, the carry... Oh, yeah. Waterstones in Bradford, Waterstones in Hull, Waterstones in Leeds. Very, very hard to find a Michael Mocock book, which I find absolutely staggering. But the Saga editions in Waterstones. And not only that, but Citadel Forgotten Myths. That's yeah, in Waterstones yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. That's in Waterstones in Bradford as well. So you, I think because they're so beautiful... The book buyers in Waterstones no. in the UK are probably seeing them going, ah, we can put those on our fancy schmancy special editions shelf, which I, I do wonder, with those Golanx editions, they were so plain and, frankly, yes. a little bit ugly. They look fine yeah. all lined up well, on the shelf. I do think they're a little bit ugly, to be honest. I think when they're lined up on the shelf, they look fine with all the colours, but those covers... With with a really beautiful artwork contained in a tiny little circle to the right of the title, is such a waste. Because surely, if the license in that artwork or however it works, why contain it in that tiny? Anyway, I'm just I'm just moaning. No, <laughs> I'm just no, moaning I know. At this hey, look, look, the 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 right idea was always like let's do full bleed, yeah. you know, art just do the whole cover and that. And um, it, again, it, it feels simple, but mm. uh, yeah, everyone's really responded nicely, which is great. Oh, Although but... there was some controversy, and mm. <laughs> oh, do some tell. controversy about volume, uh, volume one. We love controversy. Um, uh, the forward by the forward, which is really not a forward at all, by Neil Gaiman, mm. uh, which is his short story, and um, uh, it was making the title song. I'm gonna have to look it up. Uh, um, one life furnished in early. Murcock. One life furnished in early Murcock. Yeah, I always mangled mm. the title, but yeah, one life furnished, and that came about from a conversation I had with Neil. I asked him, like, hey, can I reprint the old introduction that he had written hmm. years ago? It's like, you know, Joe, yeah, but I would really like to do the short story instead as, as a forward. And, like, you know, honestly, I had the same idea, Neil, but I didn't want to bring it up yet. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's try it. I asked Mike, Mike's like, yeah, sure. So we did that. Some people hate this. <laughs> and I thought it was a bold choice uh, just because it, it's autobiographical. It's not. It's fiction. It's yeah. a fictional autobiograph. And, and there's some moments in there that uh, some people complain about. And I understand if you're reading this uh, with a younger child, uh, maybe someone who's under their teenage years, maybe 10, 12. Sure, mm. it's a bit much. But I think Elric's a bit much, too, at that age. Uh, you know, It's more like a 12 and up, uh, angry, goth teen book. But yeah. uh, that's... But, you know, so I understand some folks, and it's not a forward, but I think it's, look, if Neil and Mike wanted to do it, who am I to say no? Well, I'm, at the end of the day, they, these aren't children's books. You could argue that they're young adults' books because the majority of people discover them as young adults when they're, you know, Myself? identifying yeah, with right. Elric or whoever. Um, just, uh, just on a slight aside, I've got the uh, P. Craig Russell illustrated version of uh, nice. one one life though which was just behind me so i just thought i'd grab it and show you yeah, um, but, yeah, yeah I have that too. you know just because we watched we read them all as a teenager doesn't mean they're, they're children's books and there is some spicy content in in a lot of these books yeah. so you know it makes it makes perfect sense we can't 
we can't mollycoddle our uh, our readers, <laughs> can we? We can't mollycoddle the the great public. Although, funnily enough, and this this will probably feature later in this episode because we've got a separate part of this episode, which is a really really lazy drunken idea that we came up with, or that I came up with and imposed on Laws and Phil. Yeah, yeah. which was. I, I, I sought out one star reviews of L, of um Mocock books. <laughs> I actually stole this from uh, a YouTube show called Mr. Sunday Movies, who occasionally does it. Find one star reviews and then do a quiz and get them to guess which books these one star reviews are from. That's great. And and there's one where somebody kind of displays a little bit of outrage at the fact that there's nudity in one of the Michael Mocock books. And Love it. it it's it's a very strange puritanical approach to to reading a fantasy book because not only is that book in question I mean Loz had to point out to me where the nudity was. I couldn't remember any nudity in that book, but you know, maybe these things just roll off you when you read these things sure. over the years when you're when you're not too bothered by them. But, you know, it may be controversial with some, but at the end of the day, they're they're Elric novels, aren't they? They're yeah. Yeah. they're meant to be the extreme. In some mm. ways, uh, mm. in order to like highlight, yeah, you, know, you can't see the light without the shadow. And yeah. I think that's what Mike's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it about Mocock's writing more broadly that appealed to you so much back in the day? Uh, that Elric was weak. He uh, he had the, the, the companionship, the friendships, but also just that he was not your stereotypical hero. That I was a sickly kid. Uh, I had an open heart surgery when I was nine. I think uh, that sort of weakness, uh, an adventuring character, was really appealing to me. But also, like, you know, I loved his friends. Had to... <laughs> Spoiler: they all had bad endings. Almost all of them. <laughs> uh, but you know, you know, like Rakir uh, was one of my favorites. Uh, my, yeah. my handle as a uh, as a hacker was Archer with a dash dash <laughs> and a created end symbol. Uh, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I know it's for Rakir. So, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it's, but also just really, I mean, and this is the kind of thing you don't realize when you're younger, and that I realize now that the things he was playing with, right? Uh, it's not law and chaos, and the, the, the easy top view of it, but the life is full of a lot of nuances, and uh, sometimes uh, what you think is the right way to go is absolutely the worst way to go mm. <laughs> um, in life. So, you know, be a little more bold. Be a little more mm. piratical. Drink breakfast wine. That's yeah. the lesson I <laughs> took breakfast. from El- yeah, I'll Always be prepared to drink breakfast wine. Yeah. It's, it's sure. funny, yeah, you mentioned you know, his companions and, and the do-all like, generally meet doom-laden ends. Yeah. But then, yeah. of course, you know, we know that Elric does as well. When, when I read them as a kid, the first book that Pops gave me was the Ace Pocket Books edition of Stormbringer. So my introduction to Elric was Stormbringer. So, you know, his fate was spoiled Oops. for me <laughs> right from the very outset. But I think that's the case for, for most people who discovered Mocock in those days because most of his oeuvre, you know, or, or the, the tale of Elric was written post that story being written, you know. So, right, true. I think, and yeah. I think that, that actually added to the appeal of it for me. It's like, I, I know what this guy's fate is, but what kind of choices and decisions is he going to make along the way? And not only right. that, but what choices and decisions is Mike going to make when he's creating these new adventures for him? And you mentioned earlier on about kind of putting together this three-volume saga. We've mentioned before on the podcast that reading them in chronological order of the character 
can be quite jarring because jumping from yeah. Elric of Melnibonir to the Fortress of the Pearl, that's a pretty big leap in style and content. Style, particularly, yeah. Yeah, but this is what makes it so enjoyable and exciting and interesting. And I think if you're trying to sell the Elric saga to new readers, because, of course, I think most of the people who buy those saga editions are Elric fans, Elric collectors. Many, but... Yeah, but these days, how do you make the Elric saga appeal to younger readers, people who have been exposed to all of the things that have been inspired by Mocock, all of the things that have taken the tropes? How do you sell it? You know, The worst way... And I've used this, but the worst way is, hey, do you like The Witcher? This is much better. They ripped this off. <laughs> but uh, the other way to do it, it's just that it really, uh, you know, there's, there was a great New Yorker article about, an uh, interview about my, they called them the anti-Tolkien. Um, mm. And, uh, oh, what was it? The Wizard of Pooh? Uh, <laughs> and I like Tolkien, so I don't fully agree with Mike on that. But the, the thing is that there's a lot of appeal for this sort of story that is always occurring. And we go through waves, and we just went through a wave where uh, this sort of fantasy was not appealing. Now it's come back. And, mm. um, I think you know you you have the the thingness of books is appealing to younger readers, and by younger I mean like the twenty somethings, even thirty somethings. Um, they appreciate the physicality of books. Uh, that's just why ebook sales slowed. And so when they see something like this, and that the fact that we've got the color and paper maps, and I can talk about the maps too. This is, but uh, it's like. Oh, it's a thing, and mm. even if you buy a full price of thirty bucks, like, all right, you know this is this is worth it. And um, now it's done, which unlike other series are, are not. But uh, I, I don't think the things that date the books are not things that break it. Mm. Um, and so uh, I don't find certainly misogyny, you know, in there uh, is in there, but like. Um, and not to excuse it fully, but like I don't think it breaks the book still. Um, mm. So I have found that, that yes, uh, there is a certain readership that when, I, when we go to conventions and we're selling it to live uh, consumers, uh, yeah, you see people roughly of a certain age and up. Um, but there are lots of other folks too. I mean, like there's, there's no way the readership is, these are so too well for it just to be that readership. Mm. Um, so I think it's also just the fact that they are <laughs> in a way that you can actually read it that makes sense without having to be a fan ahead of time. Yeah. Because and, they are famous. I mean, you know, so it, it's, um, and of course there's the TV show hopefully still happening. Do you have any scoop on the TV show? Zero. Mm. Uh, you know, it was, the the strike delayed things. It doesn't mean anything's not happening. Uh, that's yeah. as much as I know, but nothing is not happening. Mm. <laughs> so it's, uh, the plans are still supposedly in, in place. Um, yeah. And it makes sense. Look, Apple doesn't have a Game of Thrones, doesn't have a Witcher, doesn't have a fantasy mm. Uh, series and this would be that for them. Um, uh, yeah, I think David S- is it David S. Goyer's name attached to it. It's Goyer, it? right? It's Goyer, uh, which, right, which gives doing it foundation a right now. Terrific amount of additional work, doesn't it? I these days, especially, yeah, because the success of Sandman, especially, you know, and, and Foundation they're in season three, so mm. yeah, so they have that relationship already. Yeah, I, I, I'm got to confess, I didn't get all the way through Foundation, and I really need to go back to it. We we actually just a slight aside, yeah. we resubscribed to Apple TV Plus a couple of weeks ago because I wanted to watch the third season or fourth season of For All Mankind, which I, I really do like as a series. And I was also curious about the Monarch series because I'm a massive Godzilla fan and sure. I, like, I, I like my kaiju, I like my monster movies. So 
Yeah, I mean, you know, for one reason or another, that's not necessarily paired off for me because I don't think it's particularly good. But one thing yeah, I have discovered is a little mixed. Yeah, yeah. So one thing one thing I did discover was um, the Slow Horses series Fantastic, with Gary Oldman, right? which I think is the best thing on TV at the moment. Fantastic. We binged the first two seasons. I absolutely loved it. And now we're back to that situation where we've got to wait for weekly episodes. And when you binge stuff on streaming, you forget what a ball ache it is watching episodic yeah. 45 yeah. minute episodes once a week. Ugh, yeah, devastated. Uh, one of my editors I work with uh, knows, knows, knows Mick. And so uh, says he's a wonderful sweet guy. That's all I've ever heard about him, too, from other people. But um, so good that he's having these success with it. But yeah, the show's fantastic. I haven't watched yeah. season three at all. Yeah, they've been too busy. I think we're. I think there are six episode seasons. We've just we've just watched episode four, and it it's again it's brilliant. It doesn't disappoint. But my original point was I can now get back onto Foundation because I think that's whatever however many seasons that is. So I'm quite looking forward to getting back into that. Threes, yeah, Mm. yeah, Yeah. it's good. Like it's very pretty. It's it's, and I think um, Foundation's not an easy thing to adapt, and the idea of splitting. the emperor into into three as a way of dealing with this patches of time and, and oh look, I mean the foundation itself is a fix-up novel, right? Of, of like mm. five different short stories and novellas, yeah. um, and uh, the characterization is not great. Either, you know, it's uh, so it's not an easy thing to pull off. Mm. Well, so I, the the weird thing is, I've only ever read the original Foundation trilogy because I got them in a nice tidy little hardback book, and. When the series came on, because it, it involves stuff like Prelude to Foundation and all the other prequels, I was I was confused as hell. I didn't know what the what the bloody hell was going on. But the reason I love the Foundation books is because it's just blokes and occasionally women in rooms talking, and all That's of it. the action all of the action happens off stage. They're just there are references to cataclysmic you know space battles and all that stuff. And uh, I read that I read that trilogy, that little hardback book by a lock in Scotland hung over one day because we'd, we'd booked into a hotel, a place called Kinlock Rannock, which is down a windy little road in the middle of nowhere on the edge of a lock. And we spent a couple of days drinking and eating and having, you know, three course dinners and three bottles of wine and all this business. And I think on day three or four, I was just so wiped out. I went and sat out front in the sunshine and read that trilogy almost cover to cover over the course of about 24 hours, sitting there recovering from a ginormous hangover and sweating yeah. the alcohol out. And I absolutely loved it. But I, I do appreciate that somebody coming along and doing an adaptation with it, especially for a modern audience, needs to make it a little bit more all singing, all dancing and colourful and everything else. Yeah, sure. Look, when, you've seen, uh, spoiler, uh, but uh, when the station collapses, it's beautiful. It's really well done. Yeah. yeah. I, but, I, I do dearly hope that when, if, if I'm going to say when, I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when, this Apple TV series does right. um, emerge that it has the same injection of color and wonder and uh, just incredible scale that, that that series has. And if with David S. Goyer attached, then, you know, hopefully we'll get it. Yeah. Hopefully I do we'll know one it. secret aspect of it and uh, that I can't talk about. Sorry. But uh, oh, one day, maybe. I know. Terrible, yeah. terrible. <laughs> uh, but uh, from what I little, I know, I think so. I think that it's very obvious that Goyer, and he said that he's a fan, but sometimes you hear that. And, mm. and at the Rings of Power showrunner said that, like, oh, the fans, like, they did what they did. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, it's a beautiful TV show that, uh, why did you make these choices? I don't think he's going to do that. He gets, uh, he gets Mike. 
mm-hmm. he gets eternal champion. So well, that's that's very exciting to hear. So yeah. you've done the saga press editions of the Elric stories. Is there anything else lined up? Well, yeah. So it's Citadel, right, which inserts its way in there mm-hmm. uh, as an in between story, which was great. And the way Mike is, uh, he was already working on um, uh, Albion, uh, the second volume. Uh, and it's so polished that there were just, I had two, maybe three editorial notes uh, on Citadel with him. You know, that that was it. Uh, I'm spending off the copy editors who were, well, this isn't right. Like, no, 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 that style. Stat. Then in the future, we are re- reissuing the Von Beck books as they were out of print and not anywhere. So uh, the two Von Becks, uh, mm-hmm. instead of the whole, the last omnibus edition that was done here uh, had other stuff in it. It's just because he goes to Warhound on the World's Pain and, and uh, um, oh, forgive me. Uh, City of the Autumn Stars. City of the Autumn Stars. Yes, thank yeah. you. And um, so those two. Uh, that'll be December 2024. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, and mm. uh, playing around with, I can't promise what the art's going to be, but uh, I'm asking the right folks. And, and then from there, uh, I'm reissuing Mother London uh, here in the States. Since that's been out of print a long time. Mm. Uh, and that won't be in Saga, it'll be on the Simon Schuster imprint, but uh, it's mm. literary fiction. But uh, mm. And then, you know, I, I could reveal that there's, there, there's a new novel that Mike has worked on with another writer um, and uh, acquired that Galans, with Galans. And uh, it's probably in 2025. We're just having some conversation about the title, which is why I'm hemming and hawing about saying it. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an eternal champion book. Uh, so uh, an aspect of Elric, hmm. if you will. So. That sounds terrifically exciting. Eternal champion slash aspect of Elric. One of those. More in line with, um, and it's not, but more in line with the temporal detective uh, style. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Now, you you, you don't don't just work with Mike, of course. Um, You've worked with, or you do work with, a whole host of other fantasy fantasy luminaries as well. So who else have you been working with? I got to work with Le Guin before she passed away. I did an illustrated... Uh, edition in New York City here in the background. Um, it's Christmas time, and so the cops are all around. <laughs> what a tree. <laughs> uh, I, I did an illustrated edition, the Books of Earthsea, uh, which Galanz also did there, um, but in black and white as its color. Um, and that was a six year project. Mm. Maybe it's going on seven. Um, illustrated by Charles Bass. Mm. And uh, that had uh, her last short story. I'm always tempted to tell it's a bit of a spoiler, but you know the, the books are also about fifty years old, fifty odd years old, but uh, fifty five years old at least the first one. Um, but uh, the main character, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a downer story, but like yeah. Anyway, it was wonderful to work with Ursula and I worked on a couple of reprints and some collections of hers. And so mm-hmm. nothing new except a new story in there, the last story mm-hmm. uh, she ever wrote. So that's a highlight, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently working with Peter Beagle. Uh, on his next novel, which is coming out in May, both in the US and uh, UK, um, also Galans. Uh, we do a lot of work together. Um, uh, it's called I'm Afraid You've Got Dragons. Um, see any other octogenarians uh, that I'm working with? Uh, I think that might be it as far as that goes. But uh, newer folks, I, I published Stephen Graham Jones, who's a horror writer, uh, and Rebecca Rowan Horse, another fantasy writer, um, Cameron Hurley, uh, Ken Liu. 
uh, worked on Owen King's one, Stephen King's son. I mean, yeah, it's I can go out and on, but it's it's a dream job. Yeah. yeah. You know what? It sounds absolutely wonderful. And of course, we're going to have to let you go shortly because you've got to go and have a meeting with your gaffer. But yeah, before yeah. We, before we do go, I suppose uh, w- one thing I've got to do in a way is, I suppose by way of apology, at one point you won one of our draws and I sent you a copy of Danis, The Dark Straits of Regolathium, hashtag fucking Danis. Now, I've no idea if you ever read it, but I think by way of apology I, I read for sending some of you... It. <laughs> I think I can. I can't imagine what reading that as an editor must be like, <laughs> because reading it as a standard reader, it was it was quite an eye opener. <laughs> yeah. But one one thing I will say is, um, now I know you like your horror fiction, and you know we have something of a fixation with Guy and Smith, and Mr. Herbert. Oh, Smith. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. Herbert, <coughs> as well, Herbert. of course. Yes, yeah, Herbert yes, as well, yes. of course. But we have a slight fixation with Guy and Smith, and I think Some it's of your only best fair. Episodes. I think it's only fair. And I must say, and I must say, I interrupt you again. Just you know, I'm not just uh, you know tangentially on here. I, I've been a member, a Patreon member for yeah. years. So, listeners. Pony up. If I can do it, so can you. Well, I think, I, I think because because you are indeed a patron, and because you've taken the time out of your busy schedule to actually come and talk to us about your work, I think it's only fair that I will put this in the post for you. You will get your very own Guy and Smith, Crabs the Human Sacrifice, which has got possibly one of the greatest genre I was gonna say, that is- pulp covers of all time you know what's you know it makes this cover and hopefully you can post something so the listeners can, can see this but it's not just whatever it's holding in its claw the yeah. bloody claw it's the crucifix behind it yeah so if, if you to describe this cover it's an altar with brass candles uh with, with brass candle holders and candles with a large gold crucifix and a crab in its bloody claw holding up a sacrificial knife yeah. That's so That's now, whether, whether the contents can possibly follow through on that image, okay. I'm just going to have to leave you to decide. But this will be yeah, winning its way to you. Look, speaking about Love of Kaiju, you know, that we've got Godzilla minus one to see, but you know, uh, even beyond oh, yeah. uh, talking about Monarch, uh, yeah. look, uh, Meg was a fantastic. I haven't seen the second one, but Meg was a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic the, movie. The second one, I loved the first 20 minutes. And then it got away from me a little bit, the second one. Oh, I yeah. think it seemed like it was going to properly embrace the ridiculousness of it all. Yeah. It, yeah. Never, it never quite followed through on yeah, the premise. Yeah. And one of the biggest disappointments for me was there's a, a portion in the trailer where it looks like Statham is riding the crest of a wave on a jet ski with a samurai sword. Love it. It's not a samurai sword. And that was the most disappointing part to me, was that when that scene actually occurs, it's not actually a samurai sword. And I thought, holy moly. They must have seen this image and thought, this is so gonzo, we have to follow through on it. But yeah, they don't quite follow through, sadly. Oh, but entertaining bad. enough. Entertaining yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of entertaining ridiculousness, I, 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 I need to interrupt and just talk. we got to touch upon the some role-playing games for a little bit. So oh, yeah. We traded emails on this a little bit, but yeah, I, I own uh, three different versions of Stormbringer. Uh, first, fourth, and fifth? Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, I've got I've got Hawkmoon, uh, a friend, 
uh, got me a file for uh, Corum, but I haven't looked at it yet. Uh, and I've got Black Hack, uh, and um, I feel like there's something else around. But like, I haven't seen the French one yet. Have you? I signed I up for the, it, but I haven't got. Yeah, I got the Quick Start PDF. Yeah. Um, because I backed the board game, the box board game. So they sent me yeah. the Quick Start PDF. They sent it out to all Kickstarter backers. And you know what? It's it's fine. It's okay. I, I think the, they go into a great deal of depth about certain background aspects of the world. And I find that to some degree less interesting than when someone comes along mm. and nails a system that nails the tone of the, of the material sure. rather than a, a gazetteer of all the stuff, which is why I liked Black Sword Hack so much i thought the system is really simple really straightforward but it nails the feel of the fiction that it's trying to emulate and that's what i tend to look for now back in the day i would quite happily read a 400 page 500 page talislanta style huge hardback book well this is what i wanted to get into actually go on but these days i want something i can read in bed (laughs) without breaking my wrist all right all right so my point is like i i read and collect uh, rpgs now Far more than I play, um, um, so time and family, yeah. right? But the, what I've noticed now with this life I have is that speaking about like how what my curve was coming into the field, I think it's also through RPGs, and that mm. RPGs were intrinsically about the craft of storytelling and narrative. And mm. a lot of what I've learned about like how to edit a book, uh, those points of narrative, those set scenes, and pacing and characterization come from my love of RPGs and, and the ones that are constructed well and, and not just playing and DMing or anything, uh, but just the books themselves. And that's mm. what I find I read them for now. And, you know, um, so that's why I'm interested in all these different versions of, of Stormbringer and whatnot. Mm. And that was you know, the somewhat elusive, like, perfect one. Uh, yeah. Probably basic role-playing and, you know, going back to some version of the modern basic role-playing of the first edition for a second edition, but, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. It's probably the way to go, but, like, I think of that, you know, and I think uh, for other Morshock fans, uh, this book, which I'm holding up, uh, uh, Death is No Obstacle, his, his book with uh-huh. an interview with uh, uh, Tom Greenland. Um, if you like Morshock, you should read this. Yeah, uh, Find a copy. I think it's available definitely in the UK, I think. Yeah, I got one off eBay about three years ago in really nice condition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, I love it, and I love what they do, uh, RPGs, but uh, you know, two books and book series. Like I, I'm going to pick up the Rivers of London one just because it's a book-related one. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the series. Not that I have anything against it, but just not much time. But just, again, that sort of thing, the immersion of storytelling. Mm. I picked up the Lioness role-playing game. Um, oh, how was that? By, you know what? I, 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 the system it uses is the what will the Mithras system, what was RuneQuest 6 yeah, yeah. in the Mithras yeah. system. And it's it's a crunchier version of BRP, mm-hmm. which, is, I mean, with, with the players that I play with, if I'm running a game for them, absolutely useless system for them because they don't want in-depth detail, they don't want number crunching, they don't want loads of maths, they don't want to have to, you know, figure out complex equations and, and use yeah, com- yeah. different combat manoeuvres. They want to roll dice as little as possible. And and when they do, they want it to be simple. Which, funnily enough, the the game that probably went down the best with them that I ran for them over the course of a number of years. Well, there were two really. One was West End Games Star Wars, the D six mm. Star Wars system, sure, which is just super simple. And the other is 
Barbarians of Lemuria, which again is 2d6 versus a target number, and it's it's super, super simple. But, the you know, the, and I've said this before, the weird thing is, is that no, none of them would ever buy a rule book to read. They would always entirely rely on whoever's running the game to provide sure. everything they need. Typical, yeah. Un- yeah. Until, until we played Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, then they all ran out and bought players' handbooks. Mm. Why? I have absolutely no idea. But my cousin Emily, who's a good 20 plus years younger than me she at that point she'd never played role-playing games before and would played i think laws had run like a hawk moon game would played call of cthulhu would played i'd run a barbarians of lemuria game which wasn't actually barbarians of lemuria i just used the system but it was a game i'd written about um german poets in the late 17th century and it all started off with poetry night at the moon in fennig but it was like a, a little bit like sort of weird fiction sure. kind of thing and they all really enjoyed that. But the moment I said, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons, Emily's attitude was like, all oh, right, we're doing it properly now. We're entering the mm. big leagues. And my reaction to that was I was bristling. <laughs> I was absolutely bristling. I was like, no, that's not true. It's just, it's just no. got, it's still got this. It's vanilla. It's vanilla cashier. Yeah. It's still got this cashier and this, and this kind of aura around it that people think, oh, now we're going to play the real thing. That's, oh. oh, look, I mean, I'm picking on it, but like, uh, I understand what you mean, and I feel the same way. But like, the thing about fifth edition, the Matt Mercer effect, for lack mm. of a better term, uh, is that it, it's very inviting, right? Mm. And that, um, you know, sometimes there's, uh, I always forget to mangle the phrase, uh, analysis paralysis, I think it's that when you go here in the States, or I live in New Jersey, New Jersey diner, that's, five pages of menu and like you can get everything in the world yeah. and sometimes when you're affected with that like it's too many choices and you can't do anything um somehow fifth edition doesn't do that although mm. it's still there uh although it's very easy like you're a tiefling that's the one that's always easy like you're a tiefling aren't you but yeah it's it's inviting because it lets you have these little subdivisions of personality and mm. translating it into something actual if you will yeah. um that a lot of other role-playing games don't, or you had to go through a lot of hoops in order to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that kind of storytelling and that kind of narrative-producing vehicle is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think Matt Mercer is a big part of like why fantasies become more mainstream as well, not just Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I owe a lot of credit to Fivey, a lot mm-hmm. for lots of different reasons. Mm-hmm. So. I'm I'm not going to knock it because you know I I bought the players' handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide and I ran it. And for me, somebody who I mean, I'd not played Dungeons and Dragons. I never played Basic, or Beck Me, or whatever the acronym was. I only ever played AD and D First Edition. That was the only D and D I'd ever played, and it was my gateway drug to role playing games as well. So I played lots and lots sure. of AD and D when I was a teenager. But I ne- from Second Edition onwards, never played any of it. And when I first read the D and D Fifth Edition manual, I read it, and it all made sense straight away. I thought, well, actually, this is- I wish D and D had been like this thirty years ago. Sure, because sure. it. It actually makes sense. I mean, okay, when you're introducing it to a new player, they will say, well, why are my statistics 3 to 18 when what really matters is plus 1 or minus 1 or plus 2 or minus 2? It seems a bit weird, but that's just it's just always been that way. But they've managed right. to iron out just about everything else. The mechanics are nicely unified, and I really like the presentation of it. So we had, uh, we had a, you know, Phil played a Dragonborn Warlock or something, and Love she it. absolutely loved her Dragonborn Warlock character. Yeah. Loved it. Loved the fact that when they came in, into contact with uh, a, a clan of kobolds, that the kobolds all worshipped her. You know, sure. it was... Uh, yeah. 
So they made friends with the kobolds <laughs> because of that. As you should. You know, it was just it was kobolds get a it bad was, reputation. Yeah. yeah, it was it was wonderful. It was a really really nice experience, and all, all of the gaming that we did around D and D five was great. The thing that made my shit itch <laughs> was was the fact that Emily said, "All oh, right, so we're doing it properly now." <laughs> sure, sure. As if as if all of our homebrew stuff was third rate. Yeah, I know, you know? but like you know, yeah. it's it's it, it, there's there's a lot to be said for liking what's in the mainstream too. So it's all right. Mm. It's all right. Yeah. Hey, look, I I went to I don't remember what number Jake kind of was, but it's when I was sixteen, and with my mom. <laughs> And she, this is when I was still in Milwaukee, and she went on, she's not a drinker at all, but she went on uh, brewery tours and whatnot, and while I went to the con, I, I met Gygax. We were in an elevator, and this is my moment. And so yeah. I just started talking to him, and I came up with a whole idea about like using darts as a wizard and filling it with uh, enough uh, uh, sulfur and whatnot in order to have that like, kind of like a gunpowder effect, and like, you know, <laughs> what kind of plus would you give to this? It's like, I give it like a D6 plus one. I'm like, all right. And so I've used that my entire life. Darts Wonderful. Are, so it's a D4, but a D6 plus one. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, if anybody doesn't like it, I was like, yeah, Gygax said it was all right. So Seal of approval. Right. Yeah. We can't go no higher. No. Yeah. It's no, Moses and the tablets. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so, key question then. Key question. Oh, okay, yes. You know, now we've talked gaming. If I ever actually pull my finger out and run Black oh, Andy, Sword. I, I, I was going to ask you, uh, but I was going to ask you offline. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Well, that's it. You you are you are automatically invited if I ever pull my finger out my ass and actually do the second session because we did yeah. the first session and I think it, I really enjoyed running it. I think the players really enjoyed playing it. Anybody who's listening, if, if there's no actual play, but uh, patrons can actually listen to and watch the results of that session. And yeah, we had a really good time with it. And oh, I watched the, Andy. This is how uh, it went. Yeah. So my promo <laughs> is that strong. <laughs> well, that's really nice. Somebody watched it. That's amazing. Uh, that's, that's so satisfying. But the idea was that I was going to run three, maybe four sessions. But then, of course, mm. life got in the way. Things went slightly pear shaped, and I never got round to it. But I've still got people kind of waiting if we actually get round to running a second session. So I will add your name definitely to the yeah. list. Sounds good. All right, fabulous. This is this is your incentive. Yeah, yeah. I think. On I that, think we should end this with a toast. Yes, I think we should. Um, although I will very quickly have to Morcock recharge. And... Oh, nice, very nice. Uh, Morcock and my mom are uh, the same age. They're, they're uh, a week apart. My mom's birthday was the 11th. Of course it was. You know, Mike's, Mike's is the 18th. So. Yeah, so let me just recharge this, this glass. Yeah. And uh, so, yes. Well, first up, I hope your mum had a wonderful birthday. So happy birthday Thank to you, your mum. Thank you, she did. Thank you. Happy birthday to Mike. Happy birthday, Mike. Happy birthday, and, of uh, course, to Phil, who well, shares Mike's oh, yeah. birthday. Oh, yeah. well, even better. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, and that, that was one of the weirdest things, was the first time we ever did a birthday episode in 2019. It was Phil's birthday. We were going to Whitby for the weekend, and I said, we'll do a birthday episode. And then somebody pointed out that Mocock's birthday was on the same day. So, so the birthday episode is Phil's birthday, Mocock's birthday, and, of course, there's a little... There's a little bit of Merry Christmas involved in there as well. Well, there, so, is, there is. And also, this year, speaking of Merry Christmas, uh, one for Shane McGowan. Yes, yes, indeed. And of course, we, we've had the NYPD boys flying up and down behind you. Oh, no. There's it no, it I, seems I, quite fitting. NYPD choir. There's no NYPD <laughs> choir. Sorry. No, under the Sorry. choir of sirens. Doesn't exist. Yeah. Doesn't exist. Sorry. Yeah. Well, cheers, song. Joe. Thanks for dropping <laughs> by. And uh, happy pleasure. birthday to Wall and Sundry and anybody else who shares this birthday as well. Absolutely. So. All the best. Cheers.
So it is Phil's birthday. It's the traditional, no idea whether this will be the first half or the entirety of, or one small part of our traditional annual birthday stroke Christmas episode. Who knows? There might even be more than that. But welcome back to Derry and Tom's Laws, number one. Hi. <laughs> That'd be me. Yeah. And uh, welcome back, Phil. Hi. And happy birthday, Phil. Thank happy you birthday, much. Phil. Yeah. Happy you. birthday and happy birthday, Michael Mercock, of course. Happy and birthday. And Merry Christmas Michael. to everybody who's listening. Now, we've just been out for a curry. Before I get into the ridiculously half-assed plan yes. for this, because I think the last time we did this was a patron exclusive called Derry and Tom's Ladies' Night every single <laughs> birthday, <laughs> where we just very tenuously <laughs> um, did beer matching yeah. the Mocock books. We did, yeah. yeah. Pretty terrible. If you're a patron, you can listen to that. Everybody else... Unlucky, it's so exclusive, it's locked behind a pillow. Oh, yeah, I mean, I hesitate to use the word genius. <laughs> well, tonight is just as tenuous <laughs> yeah. and just as lazy, but we're doing this as part of our Christmas stroke birthday special, so it will go out anyway. But if we go and get to that, we've been out for a curry, and before we get onto our libations, we've already had a very nice bottle of white Rioja or two mm, yep. with our tea. And uh, Phil, what are you drinking right now? Well, Aslo's brought it along, and I have got another bottle of white Rioja. It, it is, is ladies' night, after all. That's right. Absolutely. And I haven't got my glasses, but I think that says... Would you like me to read it for you, Phil? Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah, I know you're struggling at your age. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's got one of those annoying fonts. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's a, a barren... What do you see with those elf eyes? Fuck all, my lord. <laughs> I haven't got any bins. Or... Uh, it's a specially selected, um, well-balanced white wine with refreshing citrus notes and apple aromas. Not my words, the words of the bottle. Mm. Uh, it's a Baron Amarillo, if yeah. we're going to be Spanish. Yeah. Uh, it's a limited edition. Um, extremely exclusive and expensive. That's why I brought it. Oh, thank you. Very good, at. Oh. Some shit from Aldi. Uh, yeah. All other supermarkets are available. Yeah. Um, seeing as you read that, I'll read out what we're drinking as our palate cleanser. Now, when I recorded with Carl a while back, Carl Willits, I had a Gravity Well beer. And it's, this is another Gravity Well beer from that same shopping trip. And it's Gravity Well Photonic Molecules. And it's a bright and zippy pale ale featuring Idaho 7, Mosaic, and... Something else I can't quite read because of the label. Aquano? It's easy for you to say. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Whatever. It's got G's in it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's a fairly pleasant pale ale at 4.x. I like it. Yeah, it's all right. It's, a, it's, it's a, quite a cloudy one, it's isn't a, it? It's a good sipping beer. It is a cloudy pale, and the other one we had from Gravity Well was also. Uh, a hazy pale, but I think about six point eight percent. So this is like mm-hmm. the weaker, younger sibling. Yeah, the uh, the ladies' version because yeah. it is ladies' night. After yeah, all. it is every ladies second night, every Thursday, seventh Thursday. Yeah, uh, yeah. photonic molecules sounds yeah. like a really good uh, prog rock album. Doesn't yeah, or yeah, or band. Well, funnily enough, it's funny you should say that because once we get onto our hastily assembled sort of quiz that we're going to take into. The first clue I'm going to read you 
would make an absolutely fantastic Italian prog album um, title. So, well, well, before you start, no. and you can cut this out, but you talk about Ladies I'm Night on Thursday. No. My birthday's on a Monday this year. Yeah, and technically it's actually a Saturday. Yeah. When we're recording this. I know, I know, but you're talking about doing it. You've just destroyed the veil. Oh, You've destroyed mate. the veil of. The fourth wall has fourth been wall destroyed. Has been destroyed. Oh. How, 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 will, how will we cope with maintaining verisimilitude for our listeners? Cut it out. No. You, Cut it you out. Put in nothing. We had, you had one job, Phil. One job to pretend. You kept what have you done? Thursday's Ladies Night. Yeah, and you had to actually have a word about that. That's right. You couldn't let it go. Yeah, yeah. because Michael woke up and go, but my birthday's on a Monday. Mm. What are they talking about? And he'd also be going, why am I not at Ladies Night? Yeah. At Derry and Tom. True. Yeah, that's good. Well, to be fair, Mike, open invite. Yeah, if yeah. you fancy it. Yeah, you know. open invite. But you have to bring your own beer, yeah. just saying. Well, you know what? Seeing as it's Mike, yeah. I would stretch to a ridiculously hideous... We'd ship, ship the beer, yeah, that's right, yeah. We'll send him some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll send him some, Mike. Yeah. Anyway, that's so the plan line. is, the, the tenuous, ridiculously stupid plan, is that I went online and found as many one-star reviews of mocock books as I could possibly find from various uh, fora where you get reviews rated from one to five. So I'm going to read out clues. Actually, not clues. I'm going to read out reviews. Reviews. Or portions of reviews from a variety of different people. What always be the same person. And your job is to consider what that review could possibly refer into. Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready, quizzers? Yes. Are you ready, ready, Phil? Yes, I'm ready. Are you ready, Loz? Yes, I am ready. Okay. We're going to kick off with this one. And the review goes thus. Original price, 14 Deutschmarks and 80... Isn't it Phoenix? 14.80. Very strong signs of use. Partly smeared with chocolate. Good author, good story, but not for 33 euros. Condition too bad and slight odour. <laughs> I was supposed to guess that. That's quite vague, isn't it? So what do you reckon? <laughs> And I'm not going to keep Italian. <laughs> I'm not going to keep Italian points. Because <laughs> that, that you won't need to. That's it. If you can get, if you can get right. this one from that clue, five points. Right, I'm going to go for chocolate stains. You say? Yeah. What 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 Mocock character could possibly? Demand that you drool chocolate on the book while you're reading it, like some kind of degenerate. I'm going to go for a Jerry Cornelius book. Okay, which one? I will go for. It's tense. It's tense. Condition of music. You're wrong. That, that, would be, be more positive. that would have been amazing. That would have been positive, like Roy, Roy Walker on Catherine, yeah. I should say. That's, You're not right. Yeah, that's good, but not right. The answer is Columbo. <laughs> now, I'm not going to be able to name a book, but I'm thinking Von Beck. You're also wrong. It's okay. Elric of Melnibonet. I was going to go with that. That's my original thought. Yeah. So that, that's that's a. Let's call that a loose start. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the phrase loose and start <laughs> yeah. and for ten. Probably. All right, so you'll you'll get a few more detailed clues on this one. Okay. I was I was hoping it might be something to do with the book. 
Well, the, lucky. <laughs> the condition of the book. Unlucky. Right, fair enough. All right, so next up, what book is this? And I've got five extracts from reviews here to work through. All right. And it will become more apparent as we go, go through them. So, first one. Sorry, have been a humongous fan of Michael Mocock for 40 plus years, but this is his worst. Finishing it was like gnawing my way through a Brussels sprout flavoured brick wall. Far too little action, far too much stuff inside other people's or other gods' heads. Ooh. Mm. It's got to be an Ericos. Mm. An Ericos? What do you think it was? So Phil's going Ericos. I might have to hear it again. I'm, th- I'm thinking maybe 40 plus years. That must be a modern one. I would go... Yeah, you take it too long. Too much, too much dead air for the podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I, I, I reckon it's an Elric book. I never okay. picked up on the 40 plus years. I'm going to go for the second extract from a review. Oh, and this is, this is the same book? Uh, yeah. No, so right. another thing that I've got to point out is whenever these reviews mention the character, I'm just going to use that old Simpsons thing of... Mr. Black. Okay. So it says, when did Mr. Black become a bore? Go back to the exciting early days, please. More action and less of the tedious soul searching. Fortress of the Pearl. Wrong. Blank look from Phil. (laughs) Clip three. That's good, but not right. Yeah, that's good, but not right. (laughs) (laughs) Extract three. I've been an avid Mr. Black fan all my reading life. And that's been a long time. But this book just didn't hit the mark. Where was the sorcery? Where were the chaos gods? Sorry, M.M., your time is done. Oh, Sad the face. Rose. Wrong. Phoenix of Obsidian. Wrong. Okay. Review, the extra- <laughs> Review extract four. This book is made up of three connected short stories. The first uh, two, which I understand were written long ago, are absolutely fantastic. The third, and by far the longest is unfortunately absolutely dreadful. Tedious, wordy, and unremarkable. It meanders along at a snail's pace, never really getting to anywhere interesting. So it's a new one of whatever it is, Citadel. You want to get points if you can name it. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Forgotten Citadel, Forbidden Citadel, something to do with the Citadel, Elric's last book. Well... I can't remember what it's called. It's got to be close for that. Yeah. I've got... The word Citadel mentioned four times. You, yeah. You're pretty close. You're pretty close. Let's let's see if this last one rattles the memory. So this is the final one. As someone who over the decades has read all of Michael Moorcock's Eternal Champion series, along with many of his other works, I was pleasantly surprised to discover that he had written another Mr. Black book. Below are my minimalist thoughts upon the pros and cons of this latest book. Story. Not bad. A bit slow in parts, but gets there. Contains light waffle. <laughs> Two, Brilliant. top notch. Mocock at his best, A+. Plus. Story three, death by waffle. You get just over halfway in before the whole thing descends into page after page after page of pointless, self-indulgent, at times incomprehensible and excruciatingly boring waffle. This guy likes his waffles. Yeah. For the first time in nearly 50 years of reading Mocock, I found myself not wanting to pick this book up again to finish it. I did finish it, by the way, but it was an effort. So all in all, I think this book is a really mixed bag. Worth it for the first and second tales, but the third tale that ties them all together is painfully boring. Sorry, Michael, I'm still one of your biggest fans, but what the hell happened on that last one? It doesn't actually give you more clues of the title. No, you're right, though. It's because I can't remember it. It's Citadel of Forgotten Myths. That was so, 
half a pint to yeah. go on the board of that will not be caught. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So you know, m- mentally tally it if you want. Uh, half, because uh, you know, whatever. It's yeah. not that important. No. Are you ready for the next one? I can barely wait. Okay. Go for the sauce. Howard's Conan is far superior, and he doesn't suffer indescribably all the time, like this fellow. Poor thing. Knight of the Swords. Nope. That's Sailor on the Seas Fair. Is it? Yeah. I couldn't fa- that's the only one-star review I could find of Sailor <laughs> on the Seas Fair. So occasionally there'll only be one review, because I could only find one um, one-star right. review. Okay. Next up. Reprising old stories with old dead characters returning. A chaos Deus Ex machines. Sick. <coughs> Time travel, alternate realities, no plot. Big preface showing how intellectual he's become. You've already called this one, Loz. Camp Brass. No. I've already said it. Yeah. Elric. It is Elric. Dragons. Yeah, he's no. The, no, not uh, Revenge of the Rose. It is the Revenge of the Rose. Oh. A point. One and a half, Phil. Yeah. You're rubbish. Yeah. yeah. Just saying. One and a half to nil. Oh, yeah. Just saying this. Easy. Let's, Easy. Let's just say how you've done Elric. I was going to cover... I've never done Elric, how dare you? <laughs> just saying. Just I had to cover friends. others. You got Elric. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's because, you know, that yeah. was his favourite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want that with Right, let's go. Yeah, before we get into favourites, save my blushes. Uh, Night of the Sun. I gave that one away, didn't I? Yeah, is it Night of the Sun? Night of the Sun. No, I get that one. Too slow, So I'll 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 read the clues. You can both have a point because I fucked up. (laughs) What a shame. This started out so well, but it quickly turned into a mess of out of field left. Sorry, out of left field events and almost childlike dialogue. The story was rather boring, except when the protagonist's lust for revenge results in him sacrificing innocent lives to escape. Later, he inadvertently causes the final genocide of the last survivors of his species. That interesting dilemma then gets glossed over. Had I not fucked up and given you the answer, you might have thought the eternal champion for that one. Mm. Then there's Moorcock has harshly criticised Tolkien, and once reading this book, one is surprised by the malice and envy that his criticisms exude. It's like comparing Salieri to Mozart. Tolkien is a genius, like Mozart, and Michael Moorcock is a poor, envious person who conveys everything except kindness, beauty, and good. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, reviewer. You're a, you're a bit of a dick. Yeah, yeah. That's a thumbs down for me. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. We're, we're not having that, are we? No. No. That's a, that's a no from me. Yeah. That's a no. Okay, next up. Clue one. Ugh. Not my thing. Just people droning on about other people they know. Something about a quest. Didn't finish. <laughs> oh, quest. Uh, quest mode could cover any yeah, number <laughs> of... I, I would go for uh, yeah the Eternal Champion. Incorrect. I'll, I'll, say, I'll, I'll give you a little clue. What are the most egregious examples of Moorcock slipping into quest mode to fill up 130 pages? Well, that's clue. You don't have to answer now. I'm going to read out the second little bit. I keep reading the Mr. Black books because <laughs> they're there, but they're not very good. <laughs> the big plot twists are ridiculous. At one point, Mr. Black has to trade a spear which will kill a god for a horn that's not his. And then, in order to make up to this evil wizard he has to trade this horn for, his cloak. 
So he gets called later, and that's a big deal. <laughs> the person is awful. The author advances the plot decades at will, while then going into long, winding speeches about fate that no one's ever given before. It was cool to see Gain of the Damned again, though. Yeah, so it's, it could be any of the three, though, couldn't it? It's like bull, and, bull and the Spear. Bull and the Spear. It's the yeah. Bull and the Spear. A point. Thanks. A point to Lars. Easy. Easy. <laughs> and have you read Bull and the Spear as part of the podcast? We haven't, actually. Yeah. No, we haven't got to it, have we? I liked quite a bit about it. And then, as you said, it did go a bit... Ooh, well, oh. once you get into... City with giant asses and that—that was when I got on the dwarf. Yeah, and... the, uh, a dwarf. <laughs> yeah, a dwarf. <laughs> bloody enormous. Yeah, look, he's eight foot. Oh, the irony. Yeah, yeah, that bit was the the magic horse that was eight foot tall. Yeah, was it? yeah. You know, we will get to uh, the second Coram trilogy in good time, i.e., twenty thirty four. Yeah. But I love the setup. I love the world building, but the Fucking quests, the the middle the, portion the, of the each of the three. Race, the, yeah, but the I'm, gonna, Aura, Aura, yeah. I'm now going to say I knew it was Coram, so I'm really happy, even though I didn't get the title of the book. Well, since it's your birthday, you can have a point. Well, I don't know, but no, I'm, 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 I'm the referee. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. favourite. You, you might be my favourite, but <laughs> I've got to make some allowances. Yeah. About a special case of that. Yeah, you're never going to get the Coram books, Phil. They're mine. Oh, yes. But I really want to do Coram. Is that why I can't? You could join us for Coram. I'm doing Coram with Simon Perrins at the moment, but I'm happy yeah, exactly. to quit the Which mm. I think was a bit disappointing, to be honest. <laughs> that he's doing it with Simon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah Simon. Boss, I, did li- I did like it. Not anymore. <laughs> Just say it. Don't listen, Simon. <laughs> don't, oh, listen, yeah. don't listen to him. It's all Simon this and Simon that yeah. now, isn't yeah. it? Me and Simon. Remember, oh, yeah, me and Simon. Yeah, me and Simon. Remember when you said me and you like that, but not anymore. <laughs> right, anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, ne- next book. Yeah. So, review extract one. I was willing to put up with not getting the plot, or even when the story was supposed to be taking place, but when I hit the gratuitous nudity, I had to stop. The book went from being an odd example of early Moorcock to Moorcock... In inverted commas, writing with one hand, as my husband would call it. Ooh. That's, that's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because, number one, I can't really remember any gratuitous nudity in any Michael Moorcock book. Jerry Cornelius. But even then, there's nothing graphic in it, is there? Well, he does sleep with his sister. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And Jerry Cornelius <laughs> sleeps with his mother, but there's no reference to his knob or, no. his, or anything like that. Well, she's not saying is what it the, she means. It's not the unipersonal book, is it? No. The, the other thing interesting thing about this, the book went from being another example of Ellie Moorcock to Moorcock writing with one hand, as my husband would call it. So, so is that suggesting he was writing with one hand and jacking off with the other? Yeah. yeah. Totally. So this reviewer is calling Moorcock... Yes. ...a gratuitous wanker. Yeah. Not good. Outrageous. Mm-hmm. So no, How it's, many it's stars not, did she give? And this is one star. Oh, right. Yeah. So uh, this is not the adventures of Una Person and Catherine Cornelius in right. the 20th century. Okay. So this is early Moorcock, she said. Mm. Early Moorcock. I'm trying to think of anything with gratuitous nudity. Yeah. So let's have an, another bit. And this might not be from the same review, but again, this is from a one-star review. At the same time, it's incredibly stupid. It's somewhere between Heart of Darkness for the complex plot being crammed into so few pages and Red Sonia. Except that I like Red Sonia. 
Yeah, I've never read it. Um, I've never read it. No. Yeah. The movie. You should talk about the Bridget Nielsen. Film. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're doing a new one, aren't they? Are they? They've been on about doing it for Donkey's years. Robert Rodriguez was supposed to be doing it ten years ago. No, it's, it's been cast, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, that might be right. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. So I am going with. I'm trying to think of. I've got to fill the dead air. Yeah, time out. I want to yeah. go with uh, Erico's just because you're talking about Red Sonja. And I'm Wrong. Thinking... I enjoyed this back in the day, but the Suck Fairy showed up and did some damage to it over time. The basic dystopian <laughs> scenario is a pretty good idea that Mocock did not put enough effort into. Read this series before you went to high school. Stop. Jewel in the skull, is it? It is the jewel in the skull. Ah. It is the jewel in the skull. So I know the what. suck fairy. Yeah, no, I get the the nudity was basically all of Meladius's servants were all uh, nude yeah. women. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Well, this and this review the red was, bed was Count Brass's daughter had red hair, didn't she? Yes, that's right. All right, yeah, well, well spotted. Just, uh, so there's a couple of other extra, extra there. points. Yeah, there. I just think Loz likes to. He, he sounded a bit like fucking that knobhead from Eggheads there, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we found that uh, Yuzelda had red hair, which is probably why there was the Red Sonia comparison. Yeah, yeah you're jealous because yeah. I'm winning. Yeah. You know, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he's very competitive. <laughs> so the, the additional bits of review were this is an old school Euro style capital care knight in shiny, shiny armour. Battling bad and nasty monsters and evil foreign evil empire. Written at a more simple time. Ha ha ha. More like simple mind. It is a tale of good versus bad, corrupt versus just. It takes place in a post apocalyptic collapse of world civilization where magic reigns supreme. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That would have put me off as a clue. By all accounts, I should have loved this book by Michael Moorcock. I normally enjoy his twisted take on things. This one has plot elements I normally enjoy. It's a post-apocalyptic fantasy with a mixture, of, a mixture of science and magic, but the book just left me cold. I put it down after the first 60 pages. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Ow. The first Rages. book is still great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, it's the best of the lot. Yeah. Which one's well, that one? Well, that's because it ta- ta- tailed off towards the end when he ran out of Ben's a dream. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it did. Yeah. But the the first book I still like, and I love the setting. The setting's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, probably Holtman is the most boring of all of his characters though. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right, so we don't basically shoot our load and run out of this in 25 minutes. Mm. I'm going to get us our second beer. So, stand by for action. Okay. I can edit out long silences, it's not a problem. What about belching and farting? Unless you two can fill time while Wait. I go to the fridge. So, Phil, uh, what's your favourite Michael Moorcock secondary character? <laughs> No, last time we had this discussion, you just went, no, you're wrong. So. Well, I'm... yeah. What, well, whatever your answer was, was obviously wrong. Yes. Yeah. So, which is kind of harsh, really. Yeah, harsh but true, but you know. <laughs> just saying. So, who is your favourite secondary? Deverk is my favourite. Oh, I don't think I've read any of He's the Hot Moon guy who appears in book two of. Oh. You have read him there, but it was the, years ago. The hat of Pat Ferrick. No, oh, and what is it about him that you love? I just think he's... Uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Um, 
I like the fact that he's a hypochondriac. Make a decision one way or the other. Um, I just think he's quite funny. Because he's a hypochondriac. He was like, oh, I'll never survive this one. Uh, Reminds me of me, really, I think. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. So you had a lot of empathy for him. Yeah, not empathy. Just like, Understand. Yeah, he, he, was, he was a cool <laughs> version of me. <laughs> no, I quite liked him. Um, Jowie, obviously, was always a winner when he came in the Corrin books. But I just find, I did find it a bit jarring sometimes when he appeared. Who, Jerry? Yeah. That's because he just fucking fell down a bush. Yeah, yeah. You know, it always reminds me of when we used to play D&D in the 80s and your character would die and you'd roll up your new character and then there would be no kind of story justification yeah. for it. A paladin would just fall out of a tree and it's like, yeah. hey, it's me, Hello, Jeff the paladin. Hello, go. Oh, yeah, Hello, okay. Hello. Jeff, yeah. Less adventure. Yeah. And actually to this day, people come up with all sorts of crazy backstories for the characters. But because of that, I, and probably because of Mocock, I still favour some guy just falling out of a tree and saying, hey, it's me. And everybody going, oh, hi, let's adventure. Which is basically what you did with your character in my Elric game. Yeah. You just rocked up in a rowing boat with yeah. a chest of hats. <laughs> chest of hats and clothes. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Right, so I've before got... we move on to the next clue, we have got Overturn Brewing Company, King of Feasts, Pale Ale. So you did groan lots because there's a picture of a sandwich. Yeah, that was the worry. In, in gingham paper with a crown on it, which and actually the colours of this label suggest that you're going to get some kind of jammy pastry sour or something. Or comes some kind of beef related brown yeah. ale affair. Yeah, like made from genuine sandwiches. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. A, it's a, a royal sandwich. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like kind of a subway kind of crossover beer. Yeah. Whereas this is just a. Straightforward 4% pale ale. Yeah, God bless it. So, yeah. okay. so, is... so one could argue that the the logo's dog shit, right? Yeah. It's not really representative, I don't No. Think. It leads to a certain expectation. Of beef. And quite frankly, when I bought it, I didn't expect it to be so boring. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> something that you would go, oh, sweet. Yeah, I think... Baby yeah, Jesus, I don't th- feed me this. I think, quite frankly... You've let yourself down on me as well. Yeah. yeah, we were expecting to be drinking beef based beer. Yeah. But how does it taste? That's what really well, good oh. question. Let's find out. It might really Ooh, smells of toilets. It's heavy again. You should have a smell of that. Oh yeah. It smells a bit of laboratories, doesn't it? Yeah, it smells of magic poles bathroom. <laughs> Bless him. That's Sorry. I don't don't mean to speak ill of the deceased. But Magic Paul's bedroom was always a wonder to behold. It tastes better than it smells. Um, the smell does smell a bit urinal-esque. It's not like very ripe cheese. People what, a Have a smell. Smell. Smell, smell my beer. It smells like a sour beer. Yeah. Smell my beer, you mother. No, I think it's got... It definitely smells of piss. I see what... <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't have said piss. It I'm... doesn't smell good, does it? No, it smells of, like... Piss if you've drank loads of beer, I think. Yeah. Which, yeah. Well, you know what? Unlucky. <laughs> it tastes <laughs> nice. That's our second beer. Yeah, I think it tastes nice. I don't, the taste of it's fine. I think it just keep your nose away. Yeah. Okay. Shall we move on? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are we ready? Yeah. Okay, next the, book. The defeat. <laughs> Extract struck clue number one. I deeply regret completing this. I only wish I had known the ending so I could have tossed it away unread. The style, 
the characters, the plot. Meh. Oh, I hate when people do that. This guy mehs quite a lot. This, this will be a Right, okay, so it's quite random. It is very random. What's the ending? I would go with Stormbringer. Incorrect. Obviously. Because it's too. Go on, Phil. Fuck it, I don't know where. Oh. You currently keep saying Ericozy. Okay, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I'm sure it's Ericozy. bound to get it at some point. <laughs> yeah, just keep going. I'll get there. I'll Have get you there. only read one book, Phil? <laughs> I'm just going to ask you that now. Me, <laughs> Okay, let's go for right. number two. The book starts out so description led and it's hard to stay awake. On several occasions, that description slides into list-making, and the lists are long enough that it feels like that scene in Holy Grail when we're learning about what people ate when the Lord bestowed the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch on his followers. Except no one is available to say, skip a bit, brother. Doesn't really help. No, I would go... I don't think who did lists. Such a deep sigh. Look at that. This is going down well. No, no, it's fine. Uh, I'll go Von Beck. No. No. It's Elric again, isn't it? When we, finally do get to, yeah. Yeah. when we finally do get to the point where there are characters, we skip from character to character without warning or apparent reason, and the chapter breaks seem completely arbitrary. That arbitrariness doesn't change a whole lot. Yeah, I'll continue. Michael Mokoff wants to comment on British imperialism, so he writes a uh, fairy queen parody, struck peak pastiche, where the queen can't get off, so she isn't a real woman. Gloria. But then she gets raped and finally has an orgasm. Gloria. Someone published this book. So is, is it Gloria? It is Gloria. Which I must have a confession to make. I've never read it. No. It is slightly problematic, <laughs> especially if you read the original first edition pre the following bit give you an idea here. Then Andrea Dworkin yells at Michael Moorcock because apparently it takes Andrea Dworkin to flag this rape thing as a bad idea. And then Michael Moorcock writes an alternate ending with less rape that is somehow worse than the original. He also includes a note that you shouldn't rape people, everybody. Sorry if that was unclear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you read oh, did you, the book? You read it. Yeah, I read it when I was probably in my teens. I tried to. I just kind of... Zone. I think it's a library book as well, so it's, you know yeah. when you're kind of in a bit of a rush to get it back. Yeah. Well, you know, absolute confession, I loved it. Right. But when I was a teenager, I loved, and I've referred to this a number of occasions, I loved the Thomas Covenant series. Yeah, yeah. And, completely, and it was only when my sister nearly threw it at my head for suggesting it to her that I realised as a 15-year-old that actually the depiction of rape in it and the protagonist's... Um, reaction to it all was pretty fucking unpleasant so i haven't read gloriana since then and i haven't read the modified version oh, of andrea okay. walking um encouraged him it was to interesting. there was another another book by donaldson he did like another i think it was another trilogy or it was a duology or whatever yeah. it was and i remember that was a bit problematic with one of the female characters always like being stripped and mm. weird. The, the, one of the one of the characters was yeah a bit rapey in it as mm. well. It was that was a bit weird. Yeah, and now as I say, I haven't reread it since then, so I'm not gonna no. pass any judgment on it because you know some reviewers would read the first three pages of an Alien Heat, for example, 
and say, this is filth, and put it down. Yeah. And never read it. And they might do the same with Jerry Cornelius. So, so without rereading it and putting myself back into that frame of mind and the context of the book, I honestly don't know what my modern reaction to it would be. But of course, we'll get to it. Yeah. Probably in 2037. But I want to or do 36. that. Yeah, you know, maybe 2036. But when I do do that, I want to do that with one of our lady co-hosts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've just read a book that had a, a rape and film directors. And, and it, I got to the point, didn't I, where I was like, I don't think I can finish this. But when I, car- I did carry on, and it became supernatural, and it moved away from, and then they explained right. the rapes, but it sat really badly. I wouldn't yeah. recommend it to anyone. It just seems to be a bit of a, a lazy trope for, for kind of, and it's generally it's male authors, isn't it? I think mm. if, if it's a female author, it's going to be a slightly different approach to it, but I think it, you know, it Game was of a male stuff author. is yeah. like... You know, there's stuff in there, and I get, and I get these things happen. You know, yeah, obviously. But but it's but it is it is kind of lame, isn't it? When yeah. when George R. R. Martin gets criticised, he says, "Well, these things happened in medieval times." Yeah, yeah. That's you not know, the point. So what do you it? expect? But no, that's not the point. But it's storytelling, like, isn't it? Yeah. What's the what's the plot point? Why why do you need that in there? Mm. Yeah. I think that's why it was so disappointing when the Game of Thrones makers actually doubled down on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was that was. In some ways, questionable enough in the novels, they seem to get a real fucking hard on for making it even worse. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, we'll get to Gloriana at some point, mm-hmm. um, but I'd like you know I will always give Mike the benefit of the doubt because I remember reading. I, I don't know if it was in the introduction to it, but I remember when he wrote the Adventures of Una Person and Catherine Cornelius in the twentieth century. He said he wanted to write. I'm thinking back a long time now, and I may have got this wrong. But I seem to recall reading an interview where I said he wanted to write a feminist science fiction novel, but even then he acknowledged that he'd not got it right. So when Andrea Dworkin called him out on the conclusion to the first edition of Gloriana, he could have been a real prick about it, but he didn't. He took the feedback on board, acknowledged it, and did something about it. So you can't can't knock that. Kind yeah, right, too, right. Yeah. I mean that and that's changing your whole work. Absolutely. Because I suppose if you if you're in that situation where you're writing your book, you're closed off and it's like, right, this is you, yeah, you don't see it from a reader's point of view, do you? No. No, you don't. Okay, next book. I struggled through this bit by bit over several days. I'm not really sure why I stuck with it. Perhaps it was once a groundbreaking, fascinating novel. But to me, it was very dated, simplistic, crass, and deeply unfunny. The kind of funny where all the jokes are highlighted and very apparent, but not in the slightest bit amusing. Like Jimmy Carr. <laughs> very disappointed, <laughs> having really enjoyed the Elric stories. Quite like that one. A one-star review of a Mocock book saying, this is like Jimmy Carr. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, that's a pretty obscure clue. Is that a Jerry Cornelius story? No. Carum? No. It'll be... Or it's not Erica's either. I haven't said it every single time. Is it? You only get one guess per clue. Okay, next clue. Awful. Is it the thing at the end of time? (sighs) I can't remember what the title is. 
Well, unlucky, so you don't get a point if you can't remember the title. Oh, that's outrageous. I found this book really strange, and even though I got to the end, I didn't really like it. No. No. I've... They don't give you a lot of detail about what it is. Well, read. That's my fault for picking it's, these. It is the thing at the end of time, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, but I can't remember what the title is. Shockingly bad. I continued reading to the end only because of a morbid curiosity and fascination that an author, whose other works I've enjoyed so much, could write something as awful as this. It does get somewhat more interesting as it goes along, and I can appreciate decent absurdist writing, but no. Just no. Jarrett Carnelian. It is Jarrett Carnelian. But no point unless you can remember the title. The story is confused, but somewhat confusing. (laughs) At least at the beginning. While there are a few clever turns of phrase and droll ironies of clashing culture, some of the historical yet inaccuracies believed by the characters reminds me of Poe's Melanta Tauta. There is little to motivate the reader to discover what happens to the characters in the story. In fact, had it not been so short of a book, that's the name of three books. Just shy of 150 pages. I likely wouldn't have bothered to finish it. I don't expect to read any of the sequels. Okay, you get half a point. (laughs) What's the title? Half a point. An alien heat. Alien heat. I didn't like them either. Did you not? No. I didn't, I couldn't get on with him at all. Yeah. I tried and went, no, I don't get it. I enjoyed them at the time, but I haven't read them since the 80s. I just didn't, didn't see the point at all. I just, yeah, I remember reading him just going, it's not for me, I don't think. Did you go, it's worse than Alan Kerr? No. I enjoyed them at the time um, because I liked the whimsy and I liked some of the characters at the end of time, like um, Lord Shark and Mungrove. But Mungrove was hilarious. Uh, the really depressed, kind of ultra powerful being at the end of time, who was just super fed up all the time. I can't remember a thing about it plot wise or really? what happens. I remember Oswald Bastable showing up in it, and the the League of Temporal Adventurers was it? Yeah, yeah. They're bound to turn up, aren't they? Yeah, that was the first time they'd ever turned up. So, yeah, yeah, I don't remember in general. Some of the whimsy stuff is, is I, I struggle sometimes with, with whimsy, I think. I think sometimes it detracts from the, the world-building mm. kind of affair. So when you get certain characters turn up, it is a bit like, as you said about Jerry Turner, when he just what, was in a fishing net or mm. something, isn't he? He just turns up, but you are a bit like, it's taken the reality of the story away slightly because mm. the, the the Knight of the Swords when it starts off it's quite grim isn't it yeah and then all oh the, yeah he gets his eye put out and his eye yeah. cut off and it's really hideous and yeah. he's got a really hideous villain and then Shul Prince Shul is yeah. just a knobber obviously yeah. and it just happens isn't it and and I just think when stuff he drops this whimsical stuff in, it can work, but sometimes it takes it away for me from a a real world kind of thing. I always see some of the Moorcock stuff as quite almost like a graphic novel mm. kind of approach, where you it's it's not gritty. Mm. You know what I mean? Even though. So if you're going to film film Elric, for example, in my head it's always quite shiny. Mm. So Elric, all the Mocock fantasy stuff is always quite shiny to mm. me. Not gritty in a lot of ways. 
in, in my head. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, it's, it's not got the violence that the Hawkman novels have got in your Elric books. See, there's, there's, no, no. there's scrapping, and, but the Elric books are colourful and psychedelic. And, no, no, totally, know, that's what I mean. It's a yeah. totally different vibe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like that, it's the 70s gatefold sleeve vibe, isn't it? Yeah, and this and this is why my biggest fear, if you ever got any, any kind of Elric adaptation, would be that it was based on Brom or Michael Whelan covers. Yeah. yeah. Um I I I I wouldn't want to say that, particularly the Brom Elric all in black, like you know, gothic emo Elric. Oh, it would be no. Elric though, wouldn't it? It, it well, I mean, you know, they, El- they would El- do that. Elric is emo, but he's but he's not emo in the classic sense of, you know, fucking black eyeshadow and, and all that business. He's he's, no. he's emo by character, but he wears outrageous Burke clothing. Yeah, exactly. That's you know, the thing, though, isn't it? But, pantaloons. But now that, as you said, that the the artistic kind of paradigm for Elric is black armor, black this. Yeah. and he is, and because it's it's nice to draw paint yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite a, a stark image. I can understand why that was appealing. Yeah, but actually, when you read the books, he dresses like a dandy. Yeah, a, or a, or a Burke. Yeah, or yeah. a Burke. Yeah. yeah, or both. Yeah, 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 and. And I like that. He, he dresses like some hippie on Carnaby Street. Yeah. Know. But if they dress him all in black, very emo, white hair, he'll end up looking like the villains in Underworld. Or be Witcher. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's Witcher, isn't it? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. That's yeah. what they've done. Oh, yeah. All in black. And, and, yeah. and the best way to differentiate it from, from Witcher is to have him dressed in purple silk waffle. Yeah. Oh yeah, t- totally. Um, to m- to make it different, but to to make that film, it's going to have a certain, a really visionary director. Yeah. Who uh, I like what Villeneuve uh, did with with the Dune films. Mm. Completely different to. Uh, I mean, I, I do still love Lynch's Dune for various reasons. Well, you know what? Um, whilst I do like and admire the Villeneuve Dune. I think it is too monochrome. Yeah. I think it is too colour graded. I, I, it is colour graded. Yeah. Not not only colour graded in inverted commas, I suppose, but not only do I love the visual design of the original um, David Lynch film, the uniforms and everything, I actually really like the visual design and the costumes in the Sci-Fi Channel TV series, yeah. which are. Sort of outrageous in a yeah. way, you know. The the, the Sada car have all got like weird, massive, sloppy Napoleonic purple berets on. You yeah. know, people are wearing weird ruffs and triangular skull caps, and it's really colourful. There was there was a bit in the the David Lynch film, you know, when the the emperor's in it, and I just like the fact that he's carrying a dog. Yeah, that Leto's carrying a dog. Yeah, there's, going there's, into battle with a pup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so much of the visuals are, are amazing. Yeah, in that film, and especially when it was made, and, and the design of the the space, the guild navigators is still amazing. Yeah. So it to to do an Elric film needs somebody who who is visually I don't know has got a really visual mind. Yeah. Like. For me, an Elric film should look more <coughs> like Flash Gordon than Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Yeah, yeah. You you need to you need to fucking swing for the fences and get some Italian fashion designer come set designer <laughs> to do everything and and really really go for it. Otherwise, it just it just wouldn't work for me. 
That's still, that's still directing it work, is it? No, it wouldn't. Yeah. It'd probably work better as a, an animation. Yeah. Um, where you could really kind of swing for the fences and, and go completely crazy with it. That's very true, actually. Mm. Why nobody's ever made a computer game? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Why yeah. Why has that never happened? No. Yeah. I don't work computer game. That'd yeah. be quite interesting. Yeah. I don't know. We will never know unless we ask Mike. Because I bet, I bet you any money it's been optioned. Well, well, maybe it hasn't. And role playing games. Obviously, mm. there's a there's a market for gamers. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You would have thought in the 1980s, you know, 8 bit computer explosion that somebody would have done something with it. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. Okay, next book. To be honest, I just couldn't finish the book. It's quite, quite a common yeah, theme, yeah. isn't it? The writing was almost amateurish. The plot was silly. The characters were caricatures. It wasn't very entertaining. I can see how it could have been an inspiration for a genre, but like many books and authors that do so, in and of itself, it isn't that good of a read this far down the road. Granted, the book has some great ideas, but beyond that, it doesn't have much going for it. Go on, Phil. Oh, tells you very little. Yeah. Hawk Moon. Hawk Moon's not the name of a book. No, it's not just, the name of a book. You're just casting your net as <laughs> wide as possible. All right, then. Yeah, but no, you've yeah. had a go, so... Next clue. Meh. I know that Michael Mocock is a classic and an icon, but I hate this type of story. The main character is relating what happened to a writer, and to you, dear reader, in the aftermath of the situations, making this hold no suspense. Written in the styles of Jules Verne and Edgar Rice Burroughs, which are all, again, classics, but it is the writing style that I do not like, not the tales themselves. But I can suffer no more, and these will be deleted from my ebook. The Michael Caine books. No. No. <sighs> Phoenix of Obsidian. <laughs> to, to be fair, he talks about the writing the Really? Writer. I would have thought he does the... Yeah, that would that would have been my first. Yeah. So if not, Revenge of the Rose would well be <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'll give you a second guess. Yeah. No, you're wrong. Okay, final clue on this one. Long on politics, short on action and adventure. Okay, so it takes all sorts. But this is my review, and I felt like I was reading a pamphlet. Which is not to say I do or don't disagree with the sentiments. Just this is fiction, and I prefer fiction to be fun. I'd also quibble with the status of this book as a steampunk classic. Uh, not much steam, and pretty easy on the punk too. It's diesel punk, if anything. The presence of a few airships in a book does not a steampunk classic make. So look elsewhere if that association is what drew you to this book. Warlord of the Air. Warlord of the Air, yeah. What do you I think it's that last fucking bit? This is written Di- in the late 60s. Yeah, fucking diesel Steampunk punk and, fuck and diesel punk and cyberpunk and all that shit it wasn't even a thing. Well, steampunk wasn't even a thing until the William Gibson Bruce Sterling book, was it? A difference Engine. Mm. That was the first steampunk, kind of, arguably, when... Because obviously William William Gibson was cyberpunk, and yeah. they did that Victorian Babbage engine yeah. hacking thing. Yeah. It's still a good good book. But, but somehow, Wall Out of the Air has, had, has grown to get this reputation as being like one of the original steampunk novels. But that's just steampunk S- geeks, steampunk retrospectively though, applying something to this that it never was. Yeah, I totally. It, as you said, it's got airships in it. Yeah, that's it. And then. Um, if, if you're going to bag steampunk, I'm going to challenge you to a tea duel. <laughs> do what now? Yeah, well, apparently that's what steampunks do. They do tea duels. Right. You, I do. Yeah. 
you dunk your biscuits and it's whoever can dunk the longest without it falling into the tin. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm all right all round, to be honest. I don't know if it's Um, digest. Anyway. Diesel Punk, again, I read a collection of books and they were class as diesel punk. It's like, it's not a thing. It's surely not a thing. It's just like, it's just a story, speculative fiction. It's just a thing. Like the steampunk genre, there's a lot of dog shit around it. Well, I think, other than the difference engine, I think if you get steampunk fiction, it's people deliberately setting out to write steampunk fiction. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, th- I think steampunk is a is a really weird thing. It's more of a it's 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 more of a stylistic movement than it is a genre. Yeah, I think I I got um a steampunk anthology years ago, and it was so varied, and there was some that it was just mashed together under that that banner. Yeah. And the some of the stories were ace, but they were all completely different. Yeah. And it was just that and they weren't even yeah, most of them not set in Victorian London or whatever. Yeah. It was just um I just yeah, sometimes just a lazy label, isn't it? Yeah, well people like to jam things into brackets, don't they? But I've got to say someone slagging off and giving well out of the air a one star review because it's not really steampunk, it's just got airships in it. Is yeah. a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But this is what you say about fitting people into certain brackets and make it fit depending on individuals views yeah it's like all the emo stroke goth yeah 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 and i know steampunks there's loads of different types within steampunk yeah one of the really common threads of reading through all the reviews especially like the negative ones and the one and two star review ones is people saying that well how on earth is this like you know a cornerstone a touchstone of fantasy it's you know I've read this stuff a million times, or it's not as good as X. <laughs> At the end of the day, people go in with a preconceived set of ideas about what a inverted commas classic is. But the the other side of it is, it's like you know, I've read loads of stuff like this, yeah, because this was written in the sixties. Yeah, it's like this pre yeah, it's like the canon books that they all were miles ahead of the time yeah. compared, and a lot of it was reaction against. Like epic fantasy, like Tolkien as well, yeah. or a different way of doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, Kernan was a reaction against, you know, anything that wasn't in cross plains Texas. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, exactly. that was vaguely yeah. attributed to civilization. Yeah, exactly. And men in suits. Yeah, which, you know, fair play. Yeah, fair yeah, play. Well, I'd quite like a suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. That's yeah. Only, but it's only because I look shitty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I looked swishing one, I'd wear one. Yeah. All right, next book. How many books have we got left? Uh, okay, we're... Many. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, six six to go. Come, come on, Phil. You come can, on, you can do it. I've no idea... <laughs> Phoenix and Obsidian. No it's going to be at that point. Yeah, I've no idea what the point tally is, but I think... I, I think I'm winning. I think Loz is on seven and a half and Phil's on six or something. I think Phil's definitely on none. <laughs> Just I, no, I, I, I do remember giving her half a point. I got half a point. I think she did get a point for something else. Yeah, because it was your birthday. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. got a point for it being Favoritism, I call it, Phil. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not deserved. All right. <laughs> he's so harsh. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. We've got to get through this. Yeah, because we do. Holy crap, this book stinks. <laughs> Good open line. Yeah. Like it. Yeah, and I, I admit that you won't get it from that. Although you feel, you feel free to have a guess. No. Come on. No. <laughs> Phoenix and Obsidian. Oh, 
birthday. All right, another one then. I really wanted to enjoy this. Mocock's a legend and I've not read him before, so I was anticipating something exciting, different and challenging. Instead, I'm sorry to say, I found it a boring chore. Sub-Woodhouse shenanigans about a stolen hat consume almost the entire first third of the book. By the time the hat was found, I'd lost the will to keep reading and abandoned the book, something I very rarely do. Now, I've got to say, if I read this one-star review and I find out that this book is basically about a stolen hat... I'm reading it. I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a massive fucking thumbs up for me. It's not one of his Monsieur Zenith pieces, is it? It's not. Is it not? It's not. Sextant. Yeah, no, it's not. I've got plenty of things to say about this book and honestly no idea where to start. It's been a while since I've last read a book so tedious, chaotic and utterly confusing. I need to start with Michael Mocock's style of writing, which to me personally was beyond pretentious and definitely not my cup of tea. Descriptions going on and on and on in a way which to some readers, me included, might appear as quite the opposite of enthralling. Didn't like it. The book didn't feel like Mr. Black, but instead a multiverse story with the main character's name changed to Mr. Black characters. Ooh. That's something of a clue. It is something of a clue. Mm. What was the stupid Elric spin-off name that they used? Mm-hmm. It was not White Wolf's son. I don't know what you're thinking of. The Storm Constantine one. Yeah. Silverheart. Yeah, it's not that. Is it's it? not Silverheart. No, but is it? Good guess, though. But is it one of the latter Elric books? No. No? No. Oh, okay. Okay, let's go. Didn't like it. The book didn't feel like <laughs> Mr. Black. Yeah. Oh, no, I've read that one. Yeah. I'm a pretty literate <laughs> guy who can read some dense literature, but this book was gibberish. <laughs> gibberish, I tell you. I've read and enjoyed Mocock before. And I love Mr. Black, but I hate gibberish. And Mocock kept using parenthetical attempts at whimsical humour, which came across as pathetic and desperate to create a chuckle. But it was so obvious he was trying to be whimsical that it did not create chuckles from me, but just eye rolls. I expect some whimsy from Mr. Black, but not from the omniscient narrator. A curve. Now, I've got to admit, I, I struggled to... There was, a fucking bazillion one-star reviews of this. Yeah. Now, this is another clue in and of itself. Most of these Mocock books, it's actually quite hard sometimes to find one-star reviews. And some of the books I looked at, there were none. Yeah. No one-star reviews of Storm Maria, for example. This had a bazillion one-star reviews. And that in itself is a clue. It's a Mr. Black one. So what Michael Mocock novel could possibly have got so much exposure to so many readers who weren't traditional Moorcock readers that they would all kick off and give it one star reviews. He did a Sherlock Holmes story. Sexton Blake. (laughs) So it's Moorcock writing for a different property and IP? Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Did he? Thingy of the Terrifiles. The thingy of the Terrifiles. Yeah, that's right. The coming of the Terrifiles. So, yes, it's the coming of the Terrifiles. Um, At one point, yeah. Have you ever read it? No, I've got it. And um, I was supposed to be covering it with an old schoolmate of mine, but we've never managed to hook it up. We were going to meet him in Wakefield, but then COVID happened because he does a lot of theatre. Richard Usher, he's called. And he was a massive Doctor We were both massive Doctor Who fans when we were at school. We both used to read Target books. And Richard did 
what he called target tapes. So when we were at junior school, he would read out target books, really? and record them onto tape, and put like sound effects in. But it was like the doctor walked down the corridor and he go tap 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 on his hands. They were brilliant, and he would he would he was like a lending library at school for the Doctor Who nerd kids really? because of course there was no Doctor Who. Well, that's a, yeah. There was nowhere to watch all these old Doctor Who's in those days. And he went on to actually do lots and lots of radio and lots of voice acting, and it, and was on tour doing um, uh, a modern like take on the Navy like. Yeah. And we had tickets to go and see it in Wakefield, but then of course COVID happened. Mm. So I was going to do the coming of the Terrifiles with Richard because he's such a massive Doctor Who fan, uh, but we just never managed to talk it up. Yeah. So. So to be fair, I wouldn't have got that one because I didn't know about that one. Yeah. Just yeah. saying. That's no excuse for. It kind of is. Although about three years ago, you did get me the signed hardback copy of that book for Christmas. So yeah. Maybe five years. You know, I think you some like, time ago. I think you've been found out there, Phil. No, honest. I yeah. think I've been dropped in it. You've thro- thrown excuses out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the 11th Doctor, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the Matt Smith Doctor. Yeah. That's why I couldn't read any of the other reviews because they're all banging on about Matt Smith and Amy. Yeah. So, yeah. I like Matt Smith. I do. He's my favourite. Oh, good. I like him more. Yeah. I didn't like Amy, but I did I liked like Amy as well. Yeah. And uh, Rory. Rory. Rory I great. like Rory. Yeah. Right, we're going to do one more book before we Did you move on to another beer. Yeah, right. Did right. It was about Doctor Who. Go on. Uh, did you hear about the rumour about the Eighth Doctor? The Paul McGann spin-off? Yeah. I've wanted that for years. I think we've yeah. even talked about yeah, it when yeah. we are drunk. Yeah. They should do... What, one one year, they should just not continue the current run of Doctor Who. Instead of doing it in just parallel. Just do a flashback Paul McGann series. Instead but if they do it in parallel, brilliant. I'd be all over that like a rat. Me too. Yeah. Fantastic. I wonder if they're going to do it. Because it, it was in the Radio Times. It yeah. was a story leaked to several newspapers. Well, they've got Disney Plus money now, haven't yeah. they? And they're on about doing spin offs. I would rather unit, say that than a, a fucking unit Amy Pond spin off. There's a unit spin off. Yeah. yeah. But I think that. Well, it's shit, because it won't have Sergeant Benton in it. Mm. It'll be Sorry. ace. It'll be... Yeah. Ew. Sorry, not having it. No Sergeant Benton, no deal. Ace Doctor would be ace. Yeah. It would, but is it going to be as likely as Paul McCann turning up at sci-fi convention? How well, many, how many, many times, times have he let you down, but, yeah, yeah. Me and Sarah have been so looking forward to it, yeah. and then he cancels, yeah. and then he cancels, and then he cancels. Yeah, but you know what? We'll always have Sam J. Jones and Brian Blessed. We it? will, we will. But yeah. it, I really like Paul McCann as a doctor. Yeah, and James Cosmo. We had a couple of Cosmo encounters, haven't we? He's a very nice man. Scottish actor, been in a bazillion things. You'd recognise him straight away. And he was in Game of Thrones. He was the head of the Night's Watch, um, who gets murdered by his own people north of the wall. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know you mean. Yeah, Yeah. he's lovely. Been in a bazillion things. Yeah. And uh, Trent, Trant. Marin Trant. Yeah, we met Marin Trant, didn't we? He's such a lovely man. The hideous paedophile Kingsguard. Who what you, a fucking lovely fella. Who used to look after... Joffrey. Joffrey. He was Joffrey's king. Yeah. I can't remember him. Mm. He's such a lovely man. Yeah, yeah, really, really nice guy. Yeah. Right, one more book and then we move on to our next beer. Go on then. Okay. Go There's on only one clue for this because I've only found one step one, one star review for it. That's good. This book was awful. There's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a theme, yeah. isn't there? The humans in it are portrayed as ridiculously evil and stupid. The protagonist is also an awful person who, upon nearly completing one genocide, motivated by a really poor reason, 
suddenly decided he was going to genocide the people he was fighting for instead. Come on, This Bill. is supposed to be a good thing. Then it's Rob obsidian. No! Oh, Eternal Champion! Eternal Champion! Oh, Phil! Eternal Champion! Oh, you've said it now. You've lost the point. Oh. Oh, <gasps> I, should we give her the points? No. <laughs> that, was ter- that, that was terrible. That was anything. so bad. Was that that we were both <laughs> willing you on. Going, come on, Phil, you've got this. <laughs> and then no, at the last minute, Phoenix and Obsidian, oh. no. It's because you were laughing at me for oh. saying it. Class, but not so <laughs> It's not even close cigar, is it? You've got... Alex Scarsley is a different <laughs> bloke. He's not Eric Cozy, is he? Yeah. Uh, whilst I get over my bitter disappointment. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Some people have been divorced for more <laughs> or less. Kaplan, you're laughing. You know what? No. The eternal champion saved us from COVID over the course of that summer where we didn't do a podcast for something like four months. Because the world had turned upside down. Everything was fucking crazy. And doing the Eternal Champion over those three episodes saved our summer. How incredibly gutting it is <laughs> for you to get that question wrong. It's outrageous. <laughs> the outrageous arrows and slings uh, of fortune. Oh, go get yourself a beer. Oh, I, can I, imagine, that's a thing. I can imagine it's like a dagger through your heart, mm. mate, to be fair. You know, Phil, uh, you know, you've not let yourself down. <laughs> Right, you two talk among yourselves. <laughs> well, I don't know, I'm running out. <sighs> well, I gotta get my beer. I'm running out of things to say to Loz. <laughs> you know, I'm really joking. I know. Oh, kind of. I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. <sighs> I think it's, um, we've, we've gone easy so far. So, it's time to up, up the game. The uh, 60th anniversary Doctor Who's, looking forward to those with Tenant. Enough. Right. Well, I want to. It, it was just after Chris Eggleston. He was just a bit hyper. Oh, I liked him. Oh, oh, oh. Well, you've got. Oh. See, I, Chris Eggleston, who was kind of. Christopher Eggleston. 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 Yeah, Jeff Eggleston. Eggleston. <laughs> I didn't like his patrol and doctor. <laughs> no, I like Jeff Eggleton. He was my favourite. Oh, I didn't like his mullet. Yeah. But, you know. And then Tennant went, ooh. Oh, Tennant was much better. Well, he was he much was, better. He was better. He was better. He brought a different... He he brought it... He made it more, more global, didn't he? Matt Smith stole my fave out of the new ones. I liked... I liked a bit of Capaldi when they started writing him properly. I, I liked Capaldi yeah. in the Pearl series. Yeah, yeah. Like the last everything before that was fucking up. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but that's not that his series is great, though. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. But but Peter Capaldi just sulking because his companion had a boyfriend for two seasons was fucking terrible. Yeah, that was rubbish. Right, yes, was. what we got, Loz, tell us. Well, what we've got here is a Twilight Pilgrim Pumpkin Spice Latte Stout. Oh, that's sweet, Jesus. Rocking in at a 5% from Abbeydale Brewery. That yeah. sounds awful. Described by some people as slightly awful. Well, let's, let's, let's Phil, don't that's what Phil's review was. Yeah, uh, I concur. Yeah, on the back it says, "Take the next step on your pilgrimage." Yeah, the nights are drawing in. Get cozy with a pumpkin spice latte-inspired Twilight Pilgrim 
Warm in spices and dark, robust coffee bleh, Yeah. Meld seamlessly with a fruit, a full malty body and a smooth, creamy finish to make this stout an instant autumnal classic. Why the fuck would you put dark orange text on a black can that small just to fucking make old bastards like me and my shit eyes? Why would you write all that shit on it as well? It's not called shit, it's called blurb. Yes. Uh, It's der blurb. Der blurb, isn't it? Der blurb and that. Did it sell it to you? No. Well, there you go. It's going to be a gotham. Yeah. It's a pumpkin stout. It's a pumpkin spice latte stout. I mean, that shouldn't be a sentence, should it? No. You know what I mean? You've got lots of words. (laughs) That's the most boring thing ever. What's that head about? It's a massive head, isn't it? I'm going to put it down to my glass being filthy. I'm, I'm going to put it down to impurities in the library. You techers there, mate. <laughs> As they you call it. Terrible techers. You don't have to pour a beer. Yeah, yeah so smell-wise. Well, it doesn't smell like piss, so that's a bonus. Well, yes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. That beer was Test really nice, past. despite the smell. Yeah, yeah, it was nice, actually. Yeah, yeah right. I really liked it. it. Yeah. That smells awful. That's yeah. too coffee for me. <laughs> actually, I like that. Lost, not so much. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that by the time I'm halfway down the glass, it worked out instead. It's worked. <laughs> yeah, I think the initial like uh, initial interaction with it is all right. I expected it to be much worse. The spice is quite nice. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's more subtle than I expected. Yeah. I expected it to kick me in the nuts. I think sometimes it's the fact that you you like three or four in. Mm. It's the just the volume of liquid, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's got quite a nice spice to it. It's all right. Yeah, I think it'd be quite nice, a bit colder. I think he probably likes it more than you because of his six foot head on that. Do you know? Don't don't you give me a hard time? I'm not being size of his head now. Okay, I've got a fucking head like a god. (laughs) I accept that. I accept that I've got a head like a fucking mad desert god. You leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, it is cruel, Bill, to mention the head. That's pretty mean. Yeah. I know he has to, he has to get specialist hats. Yeah. Yeah. True. I do, I do have to get very large hats. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a doll's head. Yeah. Astonishing with a hat. Yeah. Normal hats just look like, you know, miniature hats. Yeah. <laughs> but that in itself is a powerful look. She might have a bit mental. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Okay, next book. Okay, five to go. No. <laughs> I'm sure of you, must get, you didn't even get that one right, Phil, no. to be honest. That Fuck was your gift. Maybe you should just sign me out. Right, no, no, come on. <laughs> With a superb and mysterious title, this novel presented itself under the best auspices. Beautiful writing, interesting context, classic characters. This is from a one-star review. Fucking really? What do you have to get for a five-star? Yeah, yeah. So... Because of the title, I'm going with Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> Can it be you're not right? <laughs> That's such you're, a shit. It's good, but you're not right. What did he say about the title? Don't even look at my screen. I can't read my A God. superb and mysterious title. Don't you think that's to be fair, the Phoenix and Obsidian. Does Good sound title. Is, yeah, yeah, quite superb and mysterious. But I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your guess? Oh, is that it? That's I was, it for I was that waiting one, yeah. for more. All oh, right. Um, 
So I think I'm a book with a superb and mysterious title. The Fortress of the Pearl. No. No. The story is otherwise good, but there's a stupid twist in the end and everything goes downhill after that. It left me a bad aftertaste. Like the author didn't care about the story anymore and wraps it quickly and implausibly. This is quick to read and relatively entertaining. The characters aren't very nice, but the text itself is smooth and sometimes even funny. Silence. Okay, I'll continue. What I hate in fantasy are stupid quests. Going from point A <laughs> to point Z. Going through all the letters of the alphabet in a straight line without surprises or twists or unexpected events. I haven't counted the number of times the hero introduces himself as being on a mission to find the grail and eliminate pain from the world. He must say to almost everyone he meets at each stop that a previous character has indicated to him. In short, the thing quickly turned out to be painful and boring. The Warhound and the World's Pain. It is the Warhound and the World's Pain. That's you, not... You a... might be just stretching into the lead now. Just. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That yeah. title... It has been close. Yeah. It's a great title, isn't it? Yeah, Warhound but it's not what you expect. Pain. I don't know. I think the Warhound and the World's Pain is a pretty... Brilliant. I like that book. Yeah, it's a bit from fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Stick it up your yeah. ass. Yeah, yeah. One star reviewer. <laughs> Uh, but you enjoyed it. I think it's a good book. Mm. I think uh, there's a lot to like. Yeah, it's it's quite close to my heart because towards the end, when Pops was in hospital, I took him some books to read, and I took him the Warren of the World's yeah. Pain, and and he looked at it and he said, "Yeah, I read that twenty years ago. I didn't like it." Really? Yeah. I was like, "Oh." So yeah, it's quite close to my heart that one. Pops went that shit, that. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> so why he gave it to you? I remember well, the... well, funny enough, the copy I took to him probably was the one he'd given Was me. it the one with the cover where he's like that and yeah. he's holding the grail? Yes, the, the Chris Achilles cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is the, the yeah. ultimate cover for that book, oh. I think. The one I didn't like was the second one. Seeing the Autumn Stars? No. I do remember finding that quite hard work. I liked it up to a certain point, then I was a bit like, no, yeah. I'm not having this now. Yeah. Um, and some of those characters came back into the last, into the, God, what the hell is it called? You know, it started with the Fabulous Harbours. Oh yeah, Blood and all Blood, that. Blood, but yeah. the, the third book, which I really love. War Amongst the Angels. Yeah, love that book. Yeah. That had loads of characters from the Bombex and that. So she, yeah. was, she was Rose Von Beck, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading Seeing the Autumn Stars and I kind of enjoyed it. I found it a bit of a slog, but I was really intrigued by the Middlemarch stuff. Yeah. And I think that's it's got Reynard the Fox in it as yeah, well, yeah, hasn't yeah. it? When, yeah, yeah. And that's the first time I ever remember really thinking Moorcock was getting really intertextual in a big way and drawing in loads of threads from, from other forms of fiction. Yeah, the middle match thing was the other thing like around the multiverse, wasn't it? It mm. was kind of a separate... Uh, it was something that he invented new, yeah. wasn't it? So it's yeah. middle marches, wasn't it? In, yeah. Uh, so it was in three books, wasn't it? It was yeah. in the uh, Dragon and the Sword as well, yep. wasn't it? When Von Beck came into the yes. Arikazu bit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. The points remain close. It's it's neck and neck. <laughs> I, I, would, I would challenge that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's neck and neck. Okay, one, two, three, four books to go. Four Did books to go. I'll let you win. We're on the home run. We're on the home run. So, first clue. I never thought there'd be a Michael Moorcock book I couldn't finish, but here it is. 
Again, this is a theme, this, isn't it? Yeah. I forced myself within 35 pages of the end before putting it down for good. Ploddingly slow, largely plotless, and excruciatingly boring. Why would you get yourself that far near the end? 35 pages you'd finish. You, you it, really yeah, you, would. You, you could do 35 pages I've of the book. I've a lot you? of dog shit. I mean, you wrote yeah. these things on the bog. Yeah. You could at least have the fucking good grace to do 35 pages on the bog. Like, uh, sorry, mate, you didn't write them all on the bog, which, you know, I appreciate. Okay, so that's quite hard. Um, is it the rune stuff? No. No. I've been reading Mocock for many years and have enjoyed many of his strange, interconnected, philosophical, eternal champion books with their character crossovers and brooding worldview. This book, however, is just garbage. <laughs> At least as much as I could stand to read. Untethered philosophizing, references to characters who, presumably, are introduced in other books, random wandering around to no purpose, and silly footsing with American Indian history. Oh, you've got uh, the... What the fuck is it called? Screaling Tree. Mm. It's the Screaling Tree. Never read it. I, I read it and I... Oh, I've read that. Yeah, I did struggle with it a little bit. I've read... What was the second one? I've that read... was the second one. What the, was the first one? Then? Dream Thief's Daughter. Oh, yeah. Screaling Tree. White Wolf's Son. I've read the White Wolf's Son. Although I think they did get retitled. Yeah, Screaling Tree have... got retitled Albino in America. Yeah, ooh. Which, ooh. yeah, I'm not sure why. No. It's a worse type. Yeah, uh, it is. The White Wolf's Son was one that was in Hawk Moon's world, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, which I was very excited about because it was in Hawk Moon's world. Yeah. And it did expand some of like our ornithopters yeah. uh, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I need to reread it because, of course, when, when I go back to reading, when I, when I read those books, I was in the same mindset of a lot of these reviewers i think where yeah i was reading this stuff and i'm still on the back of loving all the 60s and 70s output mm. and because i was still discovering a lot of this stuff when things like dream thief starter and the squirrel and tree were coming out because his output is so prodigious and so extensive yeah. it was inevitable that you were still reading some of his 60s and 70s stuff when this stuff was coming out and i do remember i think i think i thought the dream thief start was okay but i struggled with the squirrel and tree and White Wolf's Son, there were bits of it I liked and bits of it that I wasn't so keen on because it was like another attempt to wrap up his... Yeah, it was, his, a, it was another recycling, wasn't it? Yeah. After yeah. Quest for Tanner, wasn't yeah. it? But this is why I'm enjoying rereading all these books because I'm reevaluating them with a 50-odd year well, old. So I read, reread um, Fortress of the Pearl. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you read it with a completely fresh context. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to that. Okay, next book. The Mr. Black story concludes, as much as an eternal champion story concludes. I found the resume and quick description better than the actual reading of the novel. I could stomach it in the early novels, but can't stand the eternal teenager and shoddy world building with the accumulated reading experience. I'll stick to Wikipedia resumes. Yeah, whatever. That's yeah, fucking, no idea. That's a wanker review, as far as I'm concerned. In my opinion, Mocock was a much better writer before roughly 1981. That's a bit random, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Oh, sweet Ariok's tears. This one is <laughs> quite the slog. A lot of, we need to quest across X to find the amulet of Y so we can discover the route to the MacGuffin. Well, you could say it was Mad God's amulet. Um, yeah, I was thinking. If you're going to use that 
amulet amulet thing. Yeah. Um, I, it's I re- good, but you're not dra- right. Dragon in the sword. It is the dragon in the sword. Well done. Well done. Because the next one is, by the time we've crossed multiverses and joined Hitler and the Nazis in a secret chamber, uh, somebody in the Holy Grail, I was so bored. But it does pick up a bit, even if that just means there's a battle a few pages later. Not with the Nazis, sadly. Mm. So yeah, you're right. It was yeah. the dragon in the sword. How did you get guess. that? I don't know. I was just thinking of the quest thing. No. I don't know. I, I, quite, I like that book. I, I, yeah, nicked, I, I nicked it from Brand's own library. Yeah. Never returned it. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. I know. So some poor kids. You are no longer my favourite. Have you got dragon and sword? <laughs> no. Lawrence Barefield, he, uh, he took it out in 1983 and didn't bring it back. What All those poor Branzon kids yeah. deprived. Yeah. Mm. Um, terrible. 40 years ago. Yeah. But I, I kind of didn't dislike that. I love Dragon's Sword. Yeah. It great. But that also had the Maldabonian dragon... Hmm. Eldrin piece. Yeah. The yeah. only bit was annoying was was Prince Flamadon, aka uh, Eric Cozy. Yeah, was um was a bit jealous of uh, Von Beck flirting with uh, the Eldrin woman, wasn't he? Yeah, but you know Erica's stroke, Prince Flamadon stroke, Alex Castle is a massive lunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's a massive horny lunk. That's the thing, isn't it? For for me, when I read The Eternal Champion, I know you guys have done it, I was really disappointed that the kind of... Because I read it after Elric and Corum. Yeah. I was really disappointed that the kind of precursor to all of this thing, he was a bit of a knob. Well, on rereading it when we covered it, I really, really enjoyed that because I thought, this is really cutting down to the essence of the idea of this eternal warrior character who is basically like, yeah, whatever, I'm just a fucking fascist and I'll kill everybody because yeah. destiny. Yeah, but it's weird though, isn't it? The, because the... Num- Number one, because destiny. Number two, because of my massive raging hard-on for this bird. Yeah, This yeah. thinly drawn bird. Which which really is, is like, it, it, it's kind of a perfect summation of the heroic fantasy character. Yeah, I suppose so. I think I was... Because the, the, obviously the dragon and the sword, he goes back to John Dacre, doesn't yeah. he? Um, a dude in London. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, I just remember being really disappointed that this character who was supposed to be everyone else mm. and the one who remembers everybody else as well. Because I, I first encountered that character in Sail on the Seas of Fate. And it was like, and he was a big black dude and he yeah. with scars or whatever and I was like oh that's interesting and then I read the book and I was like yeah not having it I don't <laughs> like I, it wasn't I wasn't having it I just thought he, he was it almost made because my favourite was Corum for years yeah so he was the, that was the first first books I read and I was yeah. like and it's emo Corum mm. and I get it but I kind of liked him because he wasn't a traditional fantasy hero yeah and then when I, because obviously EP is in Sailor Moon Season Fate, yeah, and all that kind of stuff, I was quite excited about that. Yeah. Um. Then Moon was there, and they all had a bit of a, an Elric, obviously. Um. But yeah, when I read Eternal Champion, I was like, yeah, 
Yeah, well, the thing is, when you get to the Ericos of Sailor on the Seas affair, he's like, because you get Ericos in the Eternal Champion, that's like John Durker's first, you know, he becomes, he's transported into Ericos's body and takes on that essence. And so that Ericos, his memories of all the other incarnations of the Eternal Champion are just ir- irritating dreams. Yeah, yeah. That keep yeah, him awake yeah. at night. Yeah, yeah. But by the time you get the Ericos, you know, he goes through the experience of being in Alex Castle and later Prince Flamadon. And Ilion of Garathorn yeah. and everything else. By the time you've got the um, the Ericos in Sailor and Seas Affair, he's probably been through this cycle a bazillion times. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and is is a different Ericos by that point. Yeah, totally. Whereas the Ericos of the Eternal Champion is just a fucking massive lunk who murders bazillions of people because he gets a hard on for an yeah, elder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is like sort of what kicks him off down this this track. So I don't really have a problem with all that. It's, I don't have a problem with that. I just find it a bit. I was a bit disappointed because yeah. uh, I really liked Elric, I really liked Corum, and I liked Holmoon. Well, I mean, the thing is, I, I don't like Heracles the character, but I no. appreciate the book. For, yeah, for what yeah, it I get that. I, get that. I think it was probably because the Eternal Champion is supposed to be a tragic figure, but when you work out why he's the Eternal Champion. Or he's cursed to be the eternal champion. It's his own. It's his own fault, really, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, <laughs> yeah. essentially, most tragic figures that's true for. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, you know, everybody out there. It's like us as as guys in our fifties. We were dickheads when we were eighteen. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, yeah. Right, two books to go. So one book. By which point we've got to finish our pumpkin latte stout, so I can bring out the main event. Right. Well, there's another for, one. For the last book. Yeah, we've got the main event. Now, we could, of course, we could drink it later once we stop recording, but where's the fun in that? Yeah. Right, let's get this show stumbled, struck, crawled to a finish. So, second to last book. Yeah. It's what neck the, and what neck. The, what the scores? I don't know, but it's neck and neck. Was with a slender lead. <laughs> Was holding a slender lead. A bit disappointed by that. Okay. Here we, here we go. Here we go. Awful self-indulgent crap. I think out of all the books I've read, this is the one I disliked the most. Phil? <laughs> Phoenix and Obsidian? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, yeah, too late. No. Uh, clue two. I cannot say it better, so I will defer to Ted Goyer's excellent deconstruction of this literary turd and just <laughs> post the link to his review over at the Conceptual Fiction website. You know, I'm sorry, reviewer, but that is lazy shit. Yes, it is. Don't write a review on a website saying, oh, this other guy's review something yeah, up for He did it better than I you would do it. You utter lazy... <laughs> yes. You're wasting our time. And you could argue, I'm wasting your time by even including this. But let's move on. I don't have the history with hallucinogens needed to enjoy this. It feels like a lot of disparate narrative threads in search of a story to tie them all together. Certainly not boring by any means, but too stream of consciousness to hang together well enough for me to be interested in following through to the conclusion. On to mom, coherent things. Blood. Nope. Sword and the sorceress? Um, or oh, sorceress and the sword. The sword and the sorcerer. <laughs> you just say the words for now. The, the, Al- the Albert Pune film, The Sword and the Sorcerer. You're close, <laughs> but you're not right. <laughs> 
That's good, but not right. The answer is Columbo. Okay, let's go. Let's continue. I thought that was irrelevant. Pretentious <laughs> and utterly dull, but nowhere near as reader unfriendly as the novels that followed in the Mr. Black series. It's a Pyatt book, so. No. No. Jericho Neelis. Uh, th- oh. You only get one guess per clue. Uh, Phil, go on, get and him. Just, and just saying the character doesn't get you a point. I don't, I'm not into points. I'm yeah. just trying to prove a point. Yeah. You proved no point other than you were wrong. <laughs> Okay, so this so this one was actually in Spanish, so I have to put it in Google Translate. It says, I don't know if it's the translation or what, but it's probably one of the worst books I've ever read. Nonsense from the beginning to the end. It only works if it is interpreted from a dreamlike or psychotropic approach. Essential to better understand Moorcock, but absolutely inferior to the rest of his work. Cure for cancer. No. <laughs> and it's not... The Phoenix in Obsidian. I'm not even going to say that. Okay, final clue. <laughs> I starting this hoping to get something along the lines of William Gibson. Sick. Instead, I got Austin Powers without the humour. A series of vaguely related vignettes that are vaguely science fiction-ish. Very, very dated. Final programme. It is the final programme. Loz stretches just into the lead. Oh. Yeah. By the power of points. By the power of, <laughs> by the power of points. You mean you've got all of them? nudges a nose ahead. <laughs> just a nose, yeah. Just, just by a head by a nose. Don't put me out of my misery for this last question. We need this hideous beer we're about to drink. Let's we... keep discipline, people. Well, fucking hell, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm the consummate professional, as you know. Ooh. It's, it's a diddy cam. It's a diddy cam. That's a oh, bonus, Kessel isn't it? run. It's 13% this psychopath. Uh... Yeah. So, we've got Ash to thank uh, for this one. Fuck's sake. For this recommendation. What? So, Thanks, Ash. I hate him. It's from... <laughs> I don't even know him. Yeah. Yeah, Ash. Yeah, Ash. Damn you. Damn your eyes. Good God. So, this is from Emperor's Brewery. Oh, mate. And it's Kessel Run Peanut Butter Jelly Imperial Porter at 13.1%. <laughs> Why, Lord, why? Well, Phil's going to open this one for me because she doesn't trust me to be able to pour a good beer. Well, you don't pour a good beer. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Beth. You're welcome. Jesus Christ. <gasps> oh. That is so thick. Uh, <laughs> oh, I no. <laughs> Referee. I don't, think, I don't think even you would have got a big head on that one. Oh. <sighs> <sighs> Sweet baby oh, Jesus of the earth. I'm not sure what that smells like, but I'm not sure it's good. <laughs> oh, that's vile. Yeah, it smells like it smells like feet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know how you're gonna drink that. So there's this film I love called Beast of War, right? And it's it's about a Russian tank crew in Afghanistan who gets separated from the column and essentially chased for the rest of the movie by a bunch of Mujahideen fighters. Hmm. And the loader in the tank is basically sending himself mad and blind by drinking brake fluid that he insists if you mix currants or raisins and various other things with it and and like macerate them in the brake fluid in the back of the tank, that it makes it into a really great alcoholic drink that won't kill you or send you blind. But now I'm smelling this <laughs> and instantly I'm thinking, this is the massacre <clears throat> at the back of a T sixty in Afghanistan in nineteen sixty. 
Or oh, 72 or whatever. Yeah, for me, it's like... Vile. Some psychopath has decided to make a drink. Um, yeah, this this is one of those cases where I do think that, you know, coming up with a funk, a funky label and a nice title and everything else absolutely trumps... I don't know. I, I'm going to down it, might well, be. Let's go. What, down in one? No, no, good copy. Chug a log? No, I'll die. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. All right, let's test it. <laughs> Jesus. All I can say is, don't, oh. don't let this get to room temperature. Fucking because hell. Because it'll be 14 times harder. Oh, mate. <laughs> That's like... Oh, it's, it's all wrong. Yeah. It's so... <laughs> The label's nice. Oh, it's like drinking a weird cake. Yeah. It's like drinking a weird cake that had gone off. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and some nutter has made it into a beer. Yeah. You don't have to keep drinking. No. Of course we do. It's we nine pound a can. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. You, really? You paid 18 quid oh, for them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate. That is disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> Taste, price, <laughs> all of it. It's like it's it's so actually it doesn't taste horrible. It's got quite a nice kind of fruity kind of note to it, but it's so fucking t- it tastes so strong, and it's so syrupy. It just coats your entire mouth and just like kicks your teeth in. It's horrible. You know what? You know what? It kind of reminds me of, but it but in a more beery fashion. Remember when we used to go in Tap and Spile on Springbank? Yeah. And they would have Lindisfarne wines. There was a Lindisfarne wine called Black Beer and Raisin. Was it? Yeah. And it was like 14 or 15% because those Lindisfarne wines were like super sugary. They did the mead and all the other stuff, oh, the gooseberry yeah. wine and all that. So they had them all lined up. Yeah, and they did one called Black Beer and Raisin. And this is like if you'd taken the Black Beer and Raisin wine and mixed it with something unpleasant and then stuck it in the fridge for six weeks. Yeah. This is what you'd get. It's, what percentage it's, is it? It's 13. So, 13 so it's almost you've got you've got a stout and then you just basically ram a Black Forest Gatto into it. Yeah. That's the taste I'm getting. And some ethanol. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the... somebody just punch you in the temple <laughs> and drink it. And, and the cream. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. That, that's kind of well, my... pretty much something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's my yeah. review. And I've got to say, it's, it's the punch in the temple that I'm struggling <laughs> yeah, with right same now. Here. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. And the it, cream from the Black Forest Ghetto has gone off. It's not even that. It's just that, honestly, it's just like somebody's just like lobbed a cake into a really strong stout and then gone, I reckon this would be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody else goes, well, why? Who's going to drink this 13% mentalist beer? Yeah. Yeah, no, but seriously. And then you call it Kessel Run, so you get loads of Star Wars knobheads yeah. going, oh, this is what Han Solo probably would have drunk. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. Because basically the chase through the asteroid field would be slightly different if him and Chewie had been <laughs> drinking this. Nobody is Star Wars drunk this. No. There is no way the universe that... Created blue milk yeah. would have this. No. I love blue milk. Yeah. I mean, get, get, we love our blue milk, don't we? Certainly. We, do. we recreated blue milk for our West End game Star Wars game, didn't we? I think I was there. Fucking ruled. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, our blue milk absolutely ruled. Yeah. Can't remember what was in it. Coconut rum, blue bowls, something else. There was, a, there was milk. another spirit, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, it was awesome. 
We got shit first that night, didn't we? We did. And Weirdly. I really enjoyed running West End Games Star Wars. I enjoyed it as well. Yeah. And it's the only time we ever played it. We never revisited it. I like Star Wars a lot. So yeah. when I was re like hatching role playing with my other kind of group of role players was yeah. kind of like, what do you want to play? And they were all like Star Wars and I was like, I haven't got it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not playing that. Yeah. But I would it would have been a good option because it's a nice, simple system. It yeah, I didn't good. have it. Though. I didn't have it. I had it when I was a kid, yeah. um, but I never rebought. When I tried to kind of get a a rehashed version of it, what's the new one? It's the there's loads of books in it for the new. Oh one. yeah, the Edge of the Empire. Yeah, yeah. it's like fucking. Man, I, I got it? the beta rule book for that, and it's like you've got to have a certain. Like proprietary set of dice for it and all that. Yeah, shit. yeah, couldn't be. Honest. I gotta say, when I got that West End Games slipcase set of the anniversary edition of the original rules, I fucking love it. That that system's mm. great for casual role players like our lot, like yeah. Emily and Phil and Lindsay and Stu and Sarah and people like that, who who don't want to have to read a rule book but want to be able to pick up a character sheet and get it really quickly. Yeah. And for it to work quite elegantly in play, I fucking loved that real set. I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was all right. And they did a Star Wars Reverse and expanded, or whatever it was, like a second edition of it. And I think they just overcomplicated it a little bit. I think it's, I think it's real simple and elegant. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Star Wars roleplay. Of course we're not. We're, we're here to do We're here to talk about how gopping this beer is. That and our final book review. Our final. final. This, this is you, Phil. You've one star. It. Our set of extracts of one-star book reviews for our last Michael Moorcock book. Yeah. So let's kick off. First bit. It is a terrible and depressing book. Any ideas? No. No. Too much sex, bad language, overall poor content going in the trash can. No. No. I expected an interesting sci-fi short story. Instead, it seemed to evolve a lot of sexual fantasy and nasty language. I skipped to the end and decided, unlike any book I've read before, this one was worthy of the trash. That's like three trashes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah that's not. That's very low quality. Yeah. Uh, it's a sex. Oh God. Um, what's a, what's a Mocock book with lots of sexy time? Oh, sexy time. That's the. Jerry Cornelius stuff, isn't it? Well, there is a, there's a little bit of that Jerry Cornelius. Or the dancers at the end of time. No, it's good, but you're not right. Excellent. I'll just drink some more of this filth. Yeah. Read the next one. Don't you look? I, I st- oh, you cheat to I, oh, I, I forgot to say, this one gets you 10 points. I can't read Ooh. it. Have a mo. <laughs> <laughs> There's some cheating going on. Have a mo. Yeah. Have a mo. She couldn't see it anyway. I know exactly. You told me not. Really cheating. Of... <laughs> I honestly can't read it. It's yeah. too small. This is one of those empty page turners that are forgotten as soon as read. My advice is to read the four gospels, where the quality of writing is as high as you can get, and the quality of protagonists has historic value. Behold the man. Hey! Ten points. <laughs> in your face, but <laughs> Which just allows you to just edge in front. Oh, just by one or two Just points. by one or two yeah, points. one or two. I'll finish it off. 
so uh, my advice is to read the four Gospels where the quality of writing is as high as you can get and the quality of protagonist has historic value. For science fiction, I prefer the short stories of H.G. Wells. All of them. Not that he belongs to this genre. And the works of Ray Bradbury in the 50s to the early 60s. Having said which, the best literature has nothing to do with genre. This one is a sci-fi potboiler which has nothing of merit and should be out of date. There you go. In your face, Mocock fans, yeah. read the Gospels, you idiots. Yeah. And the final bit is <laughs> not well written, not interesting, insulting, doesn't even work as a thought-provoking time travel novel, and the way it depicts Jesus is just insulting. <laughs> it's a bit insulting, to be fair. <laughs> Whether you're religious or not. I hope this book is not representative of Mocock. I expected a lot more. Good thing? It's short. I guess that is the one star it earns. Excellent. Oh, so, dear. You've never read Behold the Man, Bill? Nope. But yeah, Jesus, the depiction of Jesus... Is problematic. <laughs> to Christ- well, not to me. Not to me either. To yeah. Christians, it might be seen as slightly unusual. Yeah, it is. And Carl Glagur... Yeah. Glagur... Glagauer. Glagauer. Carl Glagur. Glagur. Yeah, we'll just yeah. say that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is quite a fucked up man, isn't yes, he? Yes, he is. Yeah, he's a young Jewish gentleman obsessed with older women's boobs. Yeah. Oh, okay. And the martyrdom complex. Yeah. Right. And he travels back in time to the time of Jesus. Because he wants to see the crucifixion and, and see Jesus, well, just to, for his own faith and lots of reasons. Yeah. And spoiler alert, if you don't want Behold the Man spoiled, switch off now. Or mute us for 15 seconds. Actually, should we even spoil it? No. Probably, no, we won't spoil it. No. But the depiction of Jesus is quite eye-raising. Yes. Eyebrow-raising. Yeah. And, and the main character is... Yes. Yeah. You wouldn't... <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a troubled man. Yeah. And it's quite apt that we finish on Behold of the Man. Because after all, it's not just the birthday episode. It's also kind of a Christmas episode. Yeah. And you know what? The entire thing about this, the entire thing about us drinking this booze, the entire thing about us drinking Kessel Run 13.1%, peanut butter, jelly, imperial porter, the entire thing about us, about you two suffering through this pathetic, randomly assembled quiz. Yeah. You know, one thing we can all agree on, it's all about the story of Jesus. I think we can. We can, yeah. And and the orphans. Yeah. So happy birthday, Phil. Yeah. Thank you. Happy birthday, Mike. Happy birthday, Mike. And in seven days, happy birthday to Jesus. Yeah. And then the orphans. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, and yeah, the orphans. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget them. Yeah. Thanks, Bo. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Massive thanks to Joe for persevering through what appears to be becoming the customary IT issues in Virtual Darian Toms, and to Loz and Phil for humouring me and playing my crap quiz. And thanks as always to our patrons for keeping this show on the road, some of whom have been with us on this journey for over four years. Incredible, really. First, those without tear. Anthony Piconti, Tim Cardos, Dave Dempster, and Sebastian Weetabix. And to our chaos engineers, Andrew Cicluna, Andrew Spong, Andrew Van Ness, Anthony Porter, Benjamin Fletcher, Bill O'Cat, Brandon Mays, 
Craig Ledley, Dave Griffiths, Dave Voxman, Gabriel Laycock, Harvey Faulkner Aston, Jim Kirkland, Jim Knight, John W. Lays, Jules Lawrence, Malpertwee, Mary Catherine, Matt Saltz, Nelbert, Ophir Ziv, Paul McRandall, PJ Cooper, Scott Butler, and Simon Perrins. And of course, thanks to our crafty Jugaderos, Alexander Harris, Elian Weston Ra, Loz, Taylor, Matthew Broom, Graham Holden, and Toby White. An eternal thanks to our patron demons, Alistair Davison, Andy Clark, Andy Darby, David Lee, Fred Keish, Gareth Wilson, Glenn Sawyer, Greg Faulkner, Gwen Barlow, Ian Stead, Imria, Janie Stim, Jason Vogel, Jay Reza, Joe Monty, Lee Gary, Mark Hebden, Marius Latauskas, Miles Reed Lobato, Neil Burton, Paul Hillary, Randall Gatlin, Steve Round, Tom Murphy, Tone Malazzo, the OG patron Norman Beresford, and last but never least, Robert McMillan. Rob, do keep on sending those bastable travelogue updates. Finally, a quick thanks also to those that have departed the Donbass over the past four plus years to seek Tanalon or to just find their fates elsewhere. Your support is ever appreciated and you'll always have a place at our table. Ray Otis, Jason Connolly, Menion, Dave Dalrymple, Liam J, Will Jamison, Ed Scott, Nathan Gouljas, and John Timothy Watt. But that's enough from me for this year. Although maybe not for this year, actually. Watch this space. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Breakfast Ruins. You can email us at breakfastruins@outlook.com. The web page is breakfastintheruins.com. We have our Patreon page too. There are a few extra odds and sods on there. But for now, take care. Stay safe. We will meet again soon on the Moonbeam Rods. I just went in the dark like a ninja. The piss ninja. Not a piss ninja. It's like a slightly merry ninja. Ah, yeah. Can I stop drinking this beer now? No. It's disgusting. No. You must finish. I can't finish it. It's going to make me ill. There is no way this £9 beer is going down the sink. Bill? <laughs> I was going to say that way. Okay. This it's £9 it's... beer is probably going down the sink. Are yeah, you going to drink it's, it? It's quite gopping, isn't it? I'm going to try. I don't think I can. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it'll just make me, yeah, very sad. <laughs>